Um, you know that was actually Willem Dafoe's penis going inside of that lady in that movie. I heard they had to uh, had to uh, get a stunt charge because his was too big. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Cree and Skrull of all ages, welcome to the MCU Beyond Infinity podcast, a show where fellow like-minded Marvelites have assembled to rate, review, theorize, and wax intellectual over any and all things related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My name is John, and I'm thrilled to be joined by my co-host and fellow avatar for an Egyptian deity, Travis, as we return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe to discuss the first episode of their newest Disney Plus series, Moon Knight, The Goldfish Problem. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've last talked about our beloved MCU, but it is back, baby, with what many would consider their biggest gamble yet on Disney Plus. Not only is this the first series to be led by a character completely new to the MCU, but Moon Knight is a complex and often downright impenetrable character, beloved by his faithful Marvel Comics fan base and occasionally mocked by those who consider him to be Marvel's less cool version of Batman. Moon Knight is super fucking weird and super fucking confusing. And at the center of it all, we have what might be considered our generation's greatest living character actors seemingly having the times of their lives with our Lord and savior, the Dune daddy himself, Oscar Isaac cast as a titular moon Knight, pit against indie darling, Ethan Hawke as an enigmatic cult leader with ratty scarecrow hair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to leave it at that bit, Travis. Um, (laughs) I am, Very happy that we are finally getting some new Marvel um, Cinematic Universe contact that is not Morbius, the living Dracula person, or Venom. Um, (laughs) This is um, a character who has not been introduced to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is a first for uh, the Disney Plus series. I think they wanted to kind of test the waters on viewership and how these things would be perceived. Mm-hmm. probably who's been uh, going back to them. You know, I know a lot of people don't watch them when they first come out, but then, you know, they want to Marvel's one of those things like Pokemon where you got to catch them all. So eventually a new movie will come out and people will say, Oh, well, you have to watch Hawkeye to get it or blah, 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 blah. So yes. you know, people, yes. yeah, they kind of want to see how all of that's going, but we've had, um, we've had Scarlet Witch. We've had the vision. We've had Hawkeye. We've had Bucky. We've had Sam Wilson. We've had characters that we know and love already from the Marvel cinematic universe involved in the fold. And now I believe the shows are not really focusing on legacy characters. Like it's like she Hulk, Miss Marvel. These are all kind of new characters to the MCU, despite kind of, I I said, legacy characters might not have been the best choice of wording because the other ones have Hulk and Marvel. Yeah. yeah. They're legacy characters, but Moon Knight isn't, but he's, he's his own thing. Uh, 
and like Hawkeye that was equally clenched as Kate. Uh, and he was like the last of the original Avengers to get his own uh, outing, I guess. Uh, but this is the first in what's going to be kind of a long streak of the Disney plus quote unquote television slash streaming side of things for the MCU franchise to start introducing characters of their own and hopefully like little mm-hmm. pocket worlds of their own. Um, and yeah, Moon Knight, and, such a weird character to start with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they've stated that uh, Moon Knight isn't really going to have any ties. Uh, like there's no pre-watching that you have to do to get Moon Knight, I guess is what I'm trying to get at which is good because that's a lot of content at this point to make it through and it was kind of fun and like a bit relieving this week watching this episode and you know about 10-15 minutes in realizing oh there's no you know franchise easter eggs that I'm looking for I'm looking for cool comic book stuff I'm looking for cool Egyptian lore two two things in the entire episode I think (laughs) yeah 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 the majority of it is like stuff from the Moon Knight comics or from Marvel comics, but yeah. but yeah. there's no oh I knew about that because I saw the you know Avenger movies or any I'm talking like an asshole abomination movie. and Wong aren't showing up or anything absolutely yeah. Wong's not swilling a martini you know what I mean <laughs> um, like he was doing in Shang Chi um, but I think the the, where Shang-Chi did have quite a bit of that. And I think um, not doing that in a film might, you know, be a little jarring because that's what we've kind of come to expect of this franchise. So Shang-Chi did have a lot of like, oh, Wong is here. We're talking about the Avengers, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think a lot of the the DNA or at least like the vibes of this show and this little mythology that it's introducing to the Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of feels akin to Shang-Chi in a lot of ways in terms of it being, um, you know, there are gods and there are realms and these things are real. Um, and it's like its own little pocket universe within the larger franchise as a whole. Does that make sense? Like it's its own little mythology is probably the better word. Yeah, that, quite literally. <laughs> yeah, very literally. There's a mythology in this. Yes, yes. Uh and it's funny how we've seen now at this point, the majority of all these different world religions introduced through, I don't want to call them science, but like more like science fiction terms uh, within yeah. the world of the MC universe and the context of the, the, the Marvel cinematic universe, um, except for like Judeo Christian religions. That's like the only thing they really haven't tapped into too much. Um, yeah. I don't expect them to, uh, <laughs> until we get Mephisto, guess... until we get Mephisto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they'll lean away from him being the actual devil. Maybe, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Daredevil being Catholic is about the closest we're going to get. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like we, you know, we have the 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 beings that are like aliens, technically. Yeah, um, like the Asgardians are they're gods in mythology, but in the MCU they're just aliens. But uh, that confounded mortals with their. Uh, future tech pretty much yeah and same thing with like the eternals to dwindling you know results but um (laughs) yeah uh, yeah yeah i was just thinking about how it's amazing that 
we would have that story about Icarus getting too close to the sun, and then in this movie, he does a repeat. I guess he is just a thing he does. <sighs> you know, the reason why Kingu became an actor was because he was so delighted by Sprite's story of Icarus flying too close to the sun. It's the whole reason he became a performer, Travis. I did, I did. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, you uh, were paying attention? Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. um, but, but Moon Knight as a character is a strange one. And, and like, I guess he's... he's we should say spoilers for not just this episode, but for Moon Knight in general, if you're not familiar. Of course. Uh, because we're going to spoil like what the big mystery here is kind of, <laughs> of this episode. And I mean, they, they've spoiled like what the big mystery of it is and a lot of the marketing. And if you've seen like any of the interviews or anything along those mm-hmm. lines, you, you know, the deal with what Moon Knight is, but he's a, he isn't the most popular Marvel character. And like, he's had, um, nine ongoing series to date. And we were kind of joking before we started recording, like you were talking about the, the Jeff Lemire, um, and Greg Smallwood's run, yeah, you know, like yeah. he kind of teetered off a little towards the end. And I was like, yeah, they, they literally all do. They all kind of get bad <laughs> towards the end, but they always start really strong. And, mm-hmm. and Moon Knight does have like a pretty devoted, following like the people i know who are like comic book readers who like moon knight don't just really like moon knight he's like one of their dudes similar to like daredevil or something like that you know what i mean yeah yeah uh granted i think daredevil's had more successful outings i guess like i feel like i'm not very familiar with moon knight even though i've read like most of the moon knights other than the mark specter moon knight uh the longer run i guess but the 90s run yeah, yeah, and I've read bits and pieces of that too, but just not sure. like one to thirty-nine or whatever it was. Uh, but yeah, it, it it's just weird how I don't feel like I know this character very well, other than that he has some mental health issues, and that wasn't always as blatant, I guess. Uh, yeah, like. He had like three alter egos instead of just the one. Yeah, he had um, the three alter egos originally back when he debuted in Werewolf by Night in 1975, Werewolf by Night issue 32. He started popping up in like Marvel team ups before eventually having like his own ongoing series for a little while which got canceled they did another mini series which didn't last too long he popped up in my precious west coast avengers and then um john byrne took over from steve englehart and very rudely just dropped him from the book with no explanation and it has always bothered me um but yeah there's been nine volumes of moon knight to mix success both you know from fans and and critics since 1975 and one of the interesting things with him, like right from the get-go, is very much you said. He has his costumed alter ego, and then he uses three other identities to, like, gain information in yeah. his regular day-to-day world. The Stephen Grant's um, alter ego is, like, this billionaire businessman, which kind of he uses as the front to gain all of the different money 
for his various uh, vigilante activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the taxi cab driver, Jake Lockley, who, you know, he uses to like go about town. Yeah, and yeah kind he's pretty much like, like taxi cab confessions where he just gets people in his bed, in his cab, and yeah. they confess their darkest underworld dealings, and he uses that information to seek out the crime. Yeah. Yes. And then there's his actual identity of Mark Spector. And the origins of Mark Spector is that he was the son of a Jewish rabbi. He served as a Marine and briefly as a CIA operative before becoming a mercenary alongside of his friend, John DeCamp, a.k.a. Frenchie, who we will be talking about a little bit later. And they had a job in the Middle East where Spector starts kind of getting completely appalled by how ruthless this other mercenary um, is acting. Uh, His Mm. name is Bushman. That's kind of like the Moon Knight version of like Killmonger. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's his actual name where it's like Raul Raul Bushman. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, he has a skull on his face. (laughs) Yeah. He's pretty cool looking, but yeah, I Uh, I think the uh, creators of the television series chose not to use him because it would have felt too similar to something like Killmonger. Um, but yeah, they're on this mission in the middle East and Bushman attacks and kills this archaeologist um, who is the father of what's going to end up becoming Mark's um, love interest. And Mark starts a fight with the guy. Bushman leaves him for dead. The tribes of Egypt, basically like these Egyptians, like bring him into a tomb of like an Egyptian moon God. Um, Yeah. And after Bushman, leaves him for dead. The mortally wound specter reaches this ancient tomb and is placed before the statue of the Egyptian moon God Khonshu and the moon God revives specter now fully healed and enlists him as the moon knight or the left fist of Khonshu redeeming him of his life of violence by now protecting and avenging the innocent um, early stories kind of simply implied that Mark Spector was insane for believing this um, whole Egyptian moon god thing, but it is eventually revealed over the years that Kanchu is very real, and he's one of several entities from a place called the Other Void, which is a dimension outside of normal time and space um, where these, like, entities that, you know, ancient people of Earth used to worship now reside. Um this was recently retconned <laughs> and because uh, Null has to be involved in everything. And now there's a whole oh. bunch of like Null stuff. Um, so yeah, eventually Mark Spector and Moon Knight and these various um, older egos that he has, Stephen Grant and Lockley um, get a little bit more complex. And it's revealed that Moon Knight has dissociative identity disorder and that the alter ego known as Grant and Lockley have been manifested within him since his childhood. And other subsequent identities who do not assume the Moon Knight identity have emerged later on in life going into adulthood from Mark Spector, and these include a little redhead girl, a werewolf-fighting astronaut, and sometimes Conchu himself. Um... (laughs) 
It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. There was a arc um, that I actually liked a lot back in like 2010 ish, maybe like 2009, 2010, written by Brian Michael Bendis, where okay. Moon Knight, yeah, Moon Knight thought he was Spider Man, Wolverine, and yes, Captain yeah, America. I, was, I knew you were going there because I was going to mention that he's also like doing uh, Marvel team ups by himself. Pretty much is what it was going on. It seemed like uh, where he's just. He's using their gimmicks, and <laughs> it's very, very strange. Um, um, I guess we should probably point out that this is kind of just movie fiction uh, mental illness, not actual mental illness, so it's uh, not meant to be taken as seriously. Yeah, yeah, because like dissociative identity disorder is a very, very real thing. Um, it's like movie voodoo for me, where voodoo is a real religion, and the movie version of it is typically nothing. Sure, it, it's very different. There is no uh, killer dolls in the actual. Uh, and like, I mean, we've seen depictions in media of. Um, of schizophrenia that yeah, yeah. look more similar to what dissociative identity disorder like actually is, you know, um, it's a really hard diagnosis to pin down um, specifically because the word dissociative, it doesn't really have like the strongest definition, you know, the, mm -hmm. to dissociate from oneself could mean so many various things, but Essentially, uh, DID, which used to be called um, and sometimes still is referred to as like multiple personality disorder, is very much exactly that, where it's this mental disorder that's characterized by the maintenance of at least two very distinct and relatively ensuring personality states within one body. Um, very similar to what you <laughs> what well, Typhoid Mary and the Daredevil show. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Or Crazy uh, Jane and um, Doom Patrol. Yes, yes. It it's uh used somewhat often. Like it's uh yeah. I mean um even Split. Uh Split Yeah. Great yeah. example of it being used for villainous intentions in a kind of mean way. Um, M. Night Shyamalan, I love you, but that was kind of cruel. Um, but uh, there was a really good show starring Tony Collette called The Secret Life of Tara that my ex-wife used to watch. Have you ever oh, seen yeah. that? I uh, know. No, I'm not. Wonderful show. Tony Collette puts on a fucking clinic, Travis. And um, <laughs> it's basically about this family who's, who the mother has dissociative personality disorder and occasionally like, one of her personalities, um, you know, she's this mild mannered middle-aged white lady. And then all of a sudden she's this like hillbilly, um, like chew spitting fucking oh, yeah, yokel yeah. things like that, where, um, you know, splits a great example to just show like almost like a caricature of what this mm -hmm. thing actually is. But, you know, where there are actually more than one distinct personality within the same person. Um, Looking at mental illness through the lens of comic book characters has happened for a very, very long time and has a rather messy history. Um, it's been something that Marvel uh, Studios and Disney 
Um, adaptations have rarely touched outright sans um, Shane Black's incredible Iron Man 3 peeking into the PTSD one would experience if they were a normal person who flew a metal suit into an alien wormhole while holding a nuclear weapon. Um, until very recently, this has been something that's pretty much been brought up in the majority of these Disney Plus series, and it's been like a main driving force for the characters and the character studies um, that these television series have the luxury of their length to explore um, mm-hmm. WandaVision's kind of um, examination of, of Scarlet Witch's grief. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, as well as Hawkeye looking at PTSD. Um, even Loki in terms of like narcissism and, and mm-hmm. things along those lines. Um, but there is this like kind of like very, very understandable trepidation when it comes to depicting like real life illnesses within the world of fantasy. Um, however, I do think Moon Knight is taking a pretty empathetic and creative approach that's, you know, it's going to be a controversial talking point a hundred percent when it comes to its depiction, because it very much lives in a world of fantasy where there are giant moon gods and, and aliens and green people and, and shit like that. Um, but I, I don't know. I think they're doing all right. Um, I was really nervous about talking about this Travis to the point where <laughs> I, I told you, like, I, I was like, do we put up like a warning? We are not psychologists and we are going to get things wrong about mental illness. And if you are feeling any kind of way, please do not take what we're saying seriously and call a doctor. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, this shit's really hard to, to explain, you know? Um, yeah. Oscar Isaac had a really good interview with uh, the Hollywood reporter recently. Um, talking about how he did this like deep dive into dissociative personality, uh, dissociative identity disorder recently to prepare. And he said, I realized that the language that's used to talk about DID is quite fantastical. It's such a complex psychological thing. You use that kind of Jungian talk, it's dream logic and it's dream talk. And Mm -hmm. I think it's betrayal in this show. Um, and and we'll get into the the plot, but the way that it's so far our POV and our ride along character isn't what I'll call like the main ego and the main host, which is Mark Spector. It's it's one of his alter egos and one of these personalities that he dissociates into um, allows for a certain level of empathy to exist towards not only the main character and the disorder, but also towards these identities that are fully formed people with thinking consciousness yeah. and emotions. And it's, it's, also, it's interesting. It's also starting with the character who isn't a war criminal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's uh, yeah, definitely more empathetic than uh, starting with Mark though. Mark gets better. He becomes a better person. After becoming the avatar of Moon Knight or uh, Contra, rather, um, you were talking about how Mark Spector is is like a war criminal and like a mercenary. Mm-hmm. Uh, DID in real life um, is associated overwhelmingly with victims of trauma, um, abuse during their childhood, mm-hmm. uh, war victims, um, people with experiences of war, people with uh, medical procedures gone wrong as a child or a lot of them 
and uh, PTSD and and things along those lines too. So the idea that somebody with uh, not only a traumatic childhood, but also kind of growing up, um, you know, with a lot of violence in, in, yeah. as they're coming of age um, is like a very real thing that could happen to someone uh, albeit existing within this fantasy world with moon gods. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and they do kind of hint at that somewhat in this where uh, they mention uh, like uh, going into a story of mythology or something like that, escaping. It's perhaps escapism somewhat. Sure. So into the Egyptian mythology and he's, it's an interest for him. So it Awesome. They're going to play with is this all in his head at some point, but yeah. And the comics have done that for a really long time, um, mm-hmm. for like the better part of twenty years. Like pretty much anything, <laughs> anything in the two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's all been this kind of examination of you Does know. Does he actually know Spider Man, or is just? <laughs> Or is this just happening in his head? Absolutely. And yeah. um, there's obviously like these like perceivable limits to telling a Moon Knight story, no matter what the medium is, whether it be comic mm-hmm. books or movies or or television or whatever. And there's usually three main options available when approaching one where you can put him in the midst of um, the Marvel Universe at a street level, a la Daredevil or Batman. Mm-hmm. Um you can delve into the Egyptian mythological stuff of it all, or you can attempt to study, you know, his, his mental health journey and, and what is real and what isn't real and the fragments of it. Um, so far we have seen two of those three options in action, and I'm sure we can expect plenty of the street level vigilantism to come. Um, I, I do got to say it takes a brave run, a brave writer and a brave team to attempt all three because that's the whole shebang when it comes to Moon Knight. But mm-hmm. go big or go home, I guess, you know, um, because because it is a lot and Moon Knight is a lot. And um, again, like spoilers for the character of Moon Knight, the show introduces <laughs> us to Stephen Grant it is not Stephen Grant. This person is Mark Spector. Stephen Grant is one of his dissociative identities, as is Moon Knight, as is a couple other um, identities who we are more than likely going to be introduced to throughout this time. I was going to ask if he thought he was going to buy a cab or if that's going to be the after credit scene where someone just calls him Jake and he's like, who's Jake? (laughs) Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> the two Jakes, the sequel to Chinatown, directed by uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Um, well, we know from the promotional material that another Moon Knight, uh, Mark Spector identity, um, is going to be appearing. That is of mm-hmm. Mr. Knight, who yes. is my favorite looking of them all. He is a real crazy and super slick, very dapper, uh, dressed. Fellow, uh, yeah, I, 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 I really thought that was the only version we would get because of how uh, comic booky Moon Knight's costume is. Where Mister Knight's just seems simpler, like oh, just a white business suit and a mask. That is. <laughs> well, that's another thing: is Moon Knight's costume and Moon Knight's vibes. 
and Moon Knight being a mercenary vigilante who seeks justice in the night, there has always been the Batman of it all, where he is often considered to be like Marvel's cheap white ripoff of Batman. Um, He does have an alter ego, which is different than Batman, even though Batman has an alter ego called Bruce Wayne. But one of his dissociative identity uh, personalities is a rich white billionaire who secretly finances this vigilante called Moon Knight throughout the night. Um, yeah, and he does fly around in a moon copter in the comic, so it's... Yeah, he <laughs> there, does. There are parallels, but yeah, I don't... I think there is enough difference there. Uh, especially now with this version where they've kind of stripped away the riches. Uh, <laughs> he also has moonerangs. <laughs> <laughs> The crescent darts. I, I, I don't know what you're oh, talking you. about. These moonerangs. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think Moon Knight briefly had a teenage kind of would-be sidekick for a little while during that yes, 90s run. Yes, he did. And he, I know that character because he pops up again in a Spider-Man crossover with Moon Knight and a few other uh, characters like Nova and Night Thrasher. The round oh, dope. Uh, Storyline. Yes. But Mark Spector is motivated by vengeance and just that kind of being a a concept and the vigilanteism and the rich billionaire of it all. There are the obvious Batman comparisons. I do think um, Batman is a really fun character to kind of dig into like dorm room psychoanalysis you know what well, i mean tonight, batman has all of his villains are pretty much mentally ill and in moon knight's case he's the one that's mentally ill and he's yes uh yeah and uh, and batman's and also, just sad <laughs> batman's sad but he's but he's, PTSD, right? but, yeah. uh, he's his, his whole bag is like built on trauma and all of his villains well the majority like a good batman villain is often like the ego to his id or vice versa um which which again like too much thought into what's actually going on where batman's just beating up mentally uh people <laughs> <laughs> and and like uh, low income people who like probably yeah. didn't yeah. have uh, many other yeah, options yeah. than crime. Rich yeah. meets up mentally ill Porter. Uh, yeah, I think this show did a really good job avoiding so far the um the Batman comparisons by turning Stephen Grant from being the rich billionaire financing this whole thing into this mild mannered gift shop kind of tweaky and you know, character here, um, kind of giving him like more of like a Clark Kent vibe than a, uh, than a Bruce Wayne vibe. Um, which is a good move. Um, cause Moon Knight is again, like equally complex, if not more complex, um, even if it can get a little wishy-washy and uh, again, like, I don't want to say insensitive and I'm sorry if we are saying anything insensitive because it's like not, intended by either of us to say anything insensitive about mental illness or anything along those lines um to just be like mental illness makes somebody complex like no 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 like <laughs> sorry hit my microphone because i'm like getting so worried um that it, it's it's like a horrible thing but it but it does add um you know it does add layers to it and and kind of make mm-hmm. the entire thing um pretty interesting um 
So I'm excited. It's only six episodes. They're saying that it's going to have very few ties to the larger cinematic uh, Marvel universe as a whole, which I kind of dig um, in a lot of ways. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, I think in this episode, there was only one, like a GRC sign from Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, and shit. Establishes a timeline uh, a little bit. Uh, 2025 is the present day Marvel Cinematic Universe, as mm-hmm. far as yeah, I know. I'm with sure. uh, any new show, unless they specifically tell us it's a prequel, I just assume it's next in the timeline. Uh, sure, sure. Um, Jeremy Slater is the head writer of the series, and um, I guess showrunner, you would call it for lack of better words. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an American writer and producer. He has worked on shows such as The Umbrella Academy and The Exorcist, which I didn't even know there was an Exorcist TV show, Travis. That is <laughs> I've crazy. heard it was actually good, too, but uh, it was canceled after like one season because no one wanted it, despite it being good. <laughs> Have you seen uh, The Exorcist 3 Legion? Uh, yes, that, I'm, well, from a little part from a horror people, but, uh, that is the one I like. The, uh, you don't like the first, uh, uh fic- I didn't see it growing up in full. Like, the first Exorcist, I, had, and then by the time I saw it, I was grown in, like, all the highlights. I had seen Ad Nauseum, so sure, it, it sure, didn't sure. have the punch, uh, that it might have if I had seen it in as a child and the third one just uh brad dorf i really like him and sure yeah yeah and from dune right from 1984's uh i want to say it's got like a a noir (laughs) feel to it too like a detective if memory serves yeah it's a detective story with george c scott yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) just kind of it appeals to me more uh than an exorcist typical story yeah the Exorcist 3 has one of what like I'll call like the scariest moments in all of cinema and any <laughs> horror movie, which is like the nurse scene or the nurse. Yeah, yeah. The nurse. The nurse poking around in the background while George C. Scott's <laughs> standing there. That is really, really unsettling and really, really scary. And I think it's it's funny that um you know, it's so loosely tied to the exorcist, uh, William Blady, who, who wrote the novel that the exorcist is based on and wrote the scheme screenplay for, uh, um, what's his name's film, um, William, uh, Fickner's film back in the day. Um, he wrote Legion not connected to the exorcist. And it was like one of his like directorial debuts as a filmmaker. Um, and they slapped the exorcist on the title at the end and they changed an ADR anytime they said the demon's name to be the same demon, uh, from, from the first exorcist. Uh, so it is like only like, yeah, yeah. That is such a weird franchise because, like, you know, Paul Schrader, like, made an Exorcist movie, too. Like, he made the fourth one. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And weren't there two Exorcist movies released in the same year or something along those lines, like, competing ones or something? One written by Paul Schrader, and, like, apparently that's the bad one, which is (laughs) weird. Uh, Yeah, I remember seeing them both when they came out or whatnot, but yeah. Like 2001-ish. Yeah. 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 I don't have any strong memories of them. I just remember this situation more than actual movies themselves. I think you're going to like, uh, I think you're going to like the card counter whenever you get around to seeing it, uh, to bring it back to our, uh, Lord and savior, the Dune daddy himself, Oscar Isaac star <laughs> of MCU's, uh, Moon Knight, um, card counter 
um, Paul Schrader knows how to make one kind of film and it's usually about a sad white guy who's really good at like one thing and like holds a grudge against the entire world for like something else. And then, is, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. the taxi drivers, the, the, the fucking first reformed fucking, you know, he, he knows yeah, how to make like one yeah. kind of movie. Uh, Card Counter is a good version of the Paul Schrader movie. It's great. That's good. Um, That's good. Uh. And Willem Dafoe plays like a corrupt, um, like military consultant who like mm-hmm. trained people in like Guantanamo Bay on how to like torture. Oh, yeah, um, effectively. Yeah. 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 In, uh, enhanced interrogation. And that's like, what's giving Oscar Isaac all these flashbacks, but like all the flashbacks to like, you know, Guantanamo Bay and like when Oscar Isaac was like working as this, like basically like torture agent of torture for the United States Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. They're shot in like handheld fish eyed lens, like a skate video with like really loud Slayer playing like, rah, 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 rah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so weird. Um, and it was one of my favorite movies of last year. Uh, it was Paul Schrader's favorite movie of last year. I love whatever I the dude. I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, they have. He drops his crown. Here you go, sir. <laughs> you know. Um, first Reformed, also starring um, our boy Ethan Hawke, the um, scraggly yes. scarecrow man from uh, Moon Knight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And his uh, character does not care about corporate branding or corporate synergy as the, this episode starts off with him putting glass in some shoes and they are not crocs even though he served a crocodile god yes yeah <laughs> travis yes, that it's is a good. missed opportunity yeah yeah i'll get it there i'll get it there <laughs> the um the shots of um that that like a little ritual that he does like the episode opening mm-hmm. up good good segue by the way good segue by the way um Opening up on our villain, played by uh, the great indie darling, Ethan Hawke, one of my favorite actors of all time. Um, Arthur Harrow is the name of the character who he is playing here. Um, We see he's got like these tattoos on his arm that are like an old school scale made up of the mouths of crocodiles. the handle on like his staff, it looks like it's made of the head of a crocodile. And much like you said, um, this represents the Egyptian deity he serves named Amit, who had the head of a crocodile, the front legs of a lion, <laughs> the hind quarters of a hippopotamus. Very strange thing. Um, Amit's one of the Egyptian goddesses worshipped by the people of Egypt, considered to be the original Boogeyman, she judged humans based on their past, present, and future and decided whether a person was worthy to live or not. When you went to hell or heaven, when you went to the afterworld in ancient Egypt, apparently, like, there was, like, a scale, right? And uh, one one of the gods would, like, measure your heart next to a feather, and if your heart Mm -hmm. weighed more than a feather, they would feed you to this crocodile hippopotamus monster. Um, that yeah. is the god. He's more of a monster than a goddess, really. In the, in the <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, again, what's the, the difference there at a certain point? Uh, yeah. Um, Arthur, during this ritual, smashes a glass that he was drinking water from and shatters the glass and puts the pieces into his sandals and um, starts to walk around on them. So, like, yeah, um, it kind of tells you a lot about the character without saying anything he's yeah. automatically uh a fanatic i guess uh, a true believer in whatever he's doing here <laughs> and like 
the ceremony of like walking on glass or like proving mm. yourself by like walking on fire or walking yeah, over yeah, the, glass. The hot coals are what I always think of. It's yeah. But like when you're walking on hot coals or you're walking over glass or whatever it may be, or like the bed of nails, you're doing that in front of people. And it's like on display, like doing that to yourself and nobody knowing that you're doing that makes you like (laughs) real hardcore. Like you're not proving this to anyone except for you and the person you're doing it for at this point. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, it's not even candy glass. It's it's actual uh, a real glass is working. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've seen Saint Maud, I'm assuming. I have. I have. Uh, Was I know you? You know you grew up um in like a kind of like religious household and stuff like that. Did that movie hit you? Um, uh, no, I was disappointed with the movie because it seemed like this sort of thing I would love, and then. I was kind of just underwhelmed by it. It wasn't bad. In fact, it was just one more from certain elements. Sometimes I'll like be having this awesome day and nothing will be going wrong. And then, you know, I'll get out of work and I'll go for a walk and then I'll remember the last frame of that movie and my whole day will be ruined. (laughs) It does have a good ending. I'll give it that. It's got quite the ending, quite the ending. Um, But yeah, she, that's like a, a recent example of of this shown in like a very brutal fashion there's that like fucking scene where she's uh putting the nails in the glass through mm-hmm. her converse and then like walking around like hunched over and, and shit like that uh, yeah mm-hmm. um we got some music cues here bob dylan's every grain of sand uh plays or the background very uh moody um a lot of vibes going on here and um bob dylan himself became a born again christian and this is one of like his 80 songs after he like found jesus he wrote a lot of spiritual songs mm-hmm. um this one in particular kind of paralleling how like harrow sees himself as this sort of like evangelist to his deity much like bob dylan kind of saw himself as this evangelist to um you know born again christian religion yeah. um also the idea of like glass being made from sand too isn't like, oh yeah and there's layers there's layers to this thing you yeah, can yeah. tell you about the uh the glass mm-hmm. um, yeah, a little too on the nose at that point though i i do want to say in like the next scene you see <laughs> yeah. um oscar isaac step on top of sand and mm-hmm. i'm almost thinking like that sand made that glass and that song was made was talking about mm-hmm. sand and like Festo is confirmed. Um, uh, do you think that they should have gotten Hayden Christensen for the lead role? Just, uh, he, he was probably offered it and then uh, saw waiting. the part. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh... He saw the sand references. And he's like, guys, I, I can't do this. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> gets everywhere. Mm-hmm. Gets in my Crocs. Um, we get a Marvel Studios title card update here, Travis, and I hate to say this, um, but it has our friends, the Eternals, hiding in there amongst our favorite super friends. Um, they have taken the place of Peter Parker, Spider-Man, <laughs> um, since he's only allowed to appear in it's, MCU it's Disney. It's not quite a fair trade there, huh? No, it's not fair. You tried to swap 10 people for one, and we don't care. <laughs> I am happy to see Rocket the Raccoon back, though. I am mm-hmm. happy to see about that. Um, I also really like the musical cue that uh, comes in over the title card credits. Um, 
Bob Dylan cuts out and we get to hear a man without love by a gentleman by the name of Engelbert Humperdinck, which is a real name that I've always loved. Um, man without love though, a song about a man who wakes up every day alone. Uh, there's also a, like one of the lines I pulled the lyrics up to this song. There is a line in this song, um, moonlight to show the way. So we can follow, which could be swapped out with like moon Knight showing the way for <laughs> Steven to follow. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, Steve- uh, I, we're on the nose music here. There's, there's a lot of that on here. Uh, it's pretty good though. I like yeah. it. At least yeah, they're jams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like the music. I don't think in this episode, but it's not bad. Like I understand why they chose it. They're not <laughs> terrible songs. I'm just like I like worse music in general, probably. So it's, true, true. Yeah, well, yeah. the the third needle drop is is trashy and tasteless, but I still kind of had a fun time. We will get to it, and we'll probably end up talking about George Michael for uh, yeah. fourteen minutes. Um. Stephen Grant wakes up in his apartment, removing ankle restraints and tape on his door, sand placed around his bed before going to call his mother and feed his pet goldfish, Gus, possibly a uh, member of the Pet Avengers, yet to be determined. Uh, While leaving the voicemail, he fumbles about the busy streets of London, nearly missing the bus before he gets to work. Um... Notice a couple things here, like behind Stephen's bed, there's like a ton of books on like world history and archaeology mm-hmm. and shit like that. But like, so we know Moon Knight first appeared in a comic book uh, featuring the character Jack Russell, a.k.a. the werewolf by night, uh, which is the greatest name in comic book history. Um, but this has major like werewolf vibes, right? Like... Oh, like yeah, yeah, where you're, you're trying to be locked up at night so that you don't go and murder the, the villagers, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, I like that idea. Like, you know, he thinks he's sleepwalking. So he puts the mm. uh, masking tape around his door to see if it's broken off, to get the footprints from the sand, uh, things along those lines. I thought it was, I don't know, cool touch. And it's kind of like, I, I almost said this man, this monster, but that's another fucking Marvel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no Ben Grimm here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gus the Goldfish, potentially a member of the Pet Avengers, yet to be determined. Um, yeah, only- I, uh, I wondered if the Goldfish was an Umbrella Academy uh, reference since some of True. Yeah, there's the, uh, the guy with the Goldfish as a head. Uh, I thought, like, it was more... Because he keeps making note about how this goldfish only has like one fin, so it can like barely switch. It's just basically going in circles in this yeah, tank yeah. all day. Um, it's kind of like how oh, he's just kind of like nature. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's just kind of like wandering around, and you know the the goldfish tank uh, is littered with a bunch of Egyptian crap, like pyramids and shit along those lines, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Uh, shout out to my friend Danita at work. Uh, she recently got a fish and she put a little AT-AT that looks like it's been covered <laughs> with like sea moss inside of it, which was pretty fun. Um, I got to think too, like every time he calls his mom throughout the episode, he's always leaving her voicemails and he's never actually speaking to anyone yeah 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 like we can only assume that he's probably talking to no one or maybe like mark (laughs) his other identity has like set up this voicemail yeah yeah well i was thinking is it is it mark's mom or is it does uh 
Is there a real mom for uh, Stephen to really be calling? Yeah. 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 The difficult thing with like DID is, you know, these people, um, these other identities, like, fabricate entire identities mm-hmm. from whatever it is inside of like a human being's consciousness. It's absolutely wild to, to think about, you know, that the human mm-hmm. brain is like capable of doing that and then fracturing itself to create a wholly unique personality out of the same brain. That is a wholly unique personality inside of a human being. It's fucking crazy. Um, he mentions that he's got her postcards um, that she's mm-hmm. been sending. And like later on in the episode, you see the postcards that are, that he's putting up on the refrigerator that she's sending, like being sold at the museum where he works. So it's yeah, like, I didn't basically... catch that bit. That is a nice touch to, you know, that yeah, he's just doing this himself. My favorite Easter egg that I found here, Travis. Oh my God. Every time he says goodbye to his mother on the voicemail, he says, later, gator. So, yeah, crocodiles are different than alligators. We went over this a lot during the Loki breakdowns. But later, he'll be facing off against a taxonomical order of reptile people that look a lot like gators to me. Um, oh, really? I, I will disagree. I think they look more like a jackal on this one. I don't know why... I'm talking about the crocodile guy, oh, that Ethan Hawke. Okay, oh, okay, I get you, I get you. I think we're talking you know about that much later in the episode. Then, <laughs> no, I'm talking about this this order that worships a crocodile god mm-hmm. <laughs> or monster, whatever we're defining it as now, deity. So you can worship speak. wherever you want. AA taught me that. If nothing else, <laughs> <laughs> manifesto confirmed. Um, also possible atlantis reference here because i noticed that there's a building on the side of the street with a sign that says atlantis island and maybe that's a nod to uh marvel's very own atlantis holder king namer duncan idaho yes yes so in the comic book, Stephen Grant is actually, as we kind of mentioned before, the second identity of Mark Spector, with Mark being the main figure. Um, Mark, this like badass mercenary that we start with, and Stephen's the identity that he adopts um, as like this elite billionaire. Um, we can assume that the series swapped Stephen to be this like awkward, mild-mannered museum employee to avoid the batman bruce wayne comparison yeah yeah i want to say i read an article that stated outright that that was the reason uh so i assume we're not going to be getting any moon copter stuff unless frenchy has one on hand (laughs) (laughs) you forgot your moon copter (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, it's a bummer that they already cast george st pierre as um oh that would have been fun yeah yeah it would have been fun oh maybe we'll get vincent cassell um <laughs> yes yes that would be a, a fun choice uh, mm-hmm. or the dad from titan that guy rules he does he does that would rule that would rule um the shot of steven walking into the museum shown through the reflection of a puddle that he walks over and like this is the first of many 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 and we're shots. gonna 
yeah, and we're going to point them out in great detail every time mm-hmm. we get to them. Um, yeah, there's a lot of reflection um, and mirrored surfaces. Uh, this is kind of like a recurring motif in the series all the way, um, shoving home how Stephen connects to his other identities and Mm -hmm. you know the upside down fractured consciousness blah 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 we talked a lot about it during what if uh we'll talk about a lot here and i'm sure there'll be a lot of it in uh dr strange in the multiverse of uh madness um so steven goes to his job at the national arts gallery where he talks with a girl about ancient egypt um she's like putting gum in this uh like display pyramid thing and i like how british people use the word rubbish bin instead of garbage pail i thought that was kind of fun mm-hmm. um steven then takes her away to graphically talk about the mummification process in a good detail um he says the term something wicked which you know that's the looming threat from shakespeare's Macbeth and uh the ray bradbury book right um and you mentioned uh, another thing because he's talking yeah, about, yeah. Uh, you know, the resurrection process, basically. Yes, you know? yes. Uh, I don't know if he mentions the field of reeds, but that's like the afterlife in the mythology or whatever. And uh, she mentions him being rejected by the field of reeds. Uh, so she knows he died. And it mm-hmm. just makes you wonder who this uh, person is, if it's like a, another form of Khonshu, or is it the alligator god and she was throwing garbage in the pyramid because that <laughs> the other gods betrayed her? And Maybe it's Mephesto? Maybe, maybe. Maybe it's uh, just another uh, Mark Spector, uh, little redhead girl. Little redhead girl and her child, yeah. I believe, is what they refer to that uh, identity as. Um, I, I, I guess we could talk about it now. Um, I am curious about this kind of like pantheon of gods and these beings that they're bringing up in relation to other African lore that we've had introduced in the yeah. Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, specifically from Black Panther. Like at the mm-hmm. top of the episode, I was talking about how this shares a lot of um, DNA in terms of its like myth- mythological uh, mythology building with stuff like Shang-Chi with this various dimensions within dimensions kind of stuff, um, but not really on a scientific basis and more on this like kind of mystical basis. Uh, Black Panther is the other um, property yeah, that really we does see that. statues of Basque in this. So sure. Yeah. I don't know if we'll get to see her in physical form at some point in uh, a Moon Knight property, uh, but seemed on the table. And like, if you were going to have any connections to the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole, um, I know Black Panther is like a tough one right now, considering it's I mean, that, Star yeah. died and the other one is famous anti-vaxxer. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it would be like the a proper place to to kind of do it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, in the midst of this conversation with this fucking little girl. um his like super naggy boss Donna reminds him that uh, he's so a gift mean. shop clerk and he's she's such a bitch and this yeah, reminded me a single nice thing to him this entire episode. <laughs> she's so fucking snotty, um, and she reminds me so much of 
a like peripheral Doctor Who character who would be annoying and then like a Dalek or some like weird space gleep glop would come in and and blast them right away and you told me that you saw like a Reddit thread that was like if this was a Doctor Who well, episode no, it was she right, would... yeah, a YouTuber reaction that mentioned that yeah yeah if this was a Doctor Who episode she would die in about two minutes and yeah and the Doctor would just shrug their shoulders and be like yep that happens see you later uh-huh. um Dylan, his uh, foxy co-worker, then talks with Grant about their date to a steakhouse, although Grant doesn't recall asking her out, but he gladly accepts the invite, despite being reminded by his naggy bitchy boss, Donna, that he is a vegan, so he's going to order, like, bread or salad or something like that. (laughs) Um, In the comics... Donna is a character. Um, she's credited at the end of this episode as Donna Craft. Um, first appeared in the comic books in Mark Spector Moon 939 in 1992. The series that, um, you know, we keep mentioning was like the longest running of the actual Moon Knight series that neither yeah. of us read a whole lot of. <laughs> Uh, I did read quite a bit of uh, Midnight Suns and the Ghost Riders and the Spirits of Vengeance at the time where mm-hmm. Moon Knight would pop up every once in a while. So I was kind of like into the um, the supernatural world of like 90s Marvel. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and he popped up quite a bit. Um, but in that uh, Mark Spector Moon Knight series, Donna Craft was Mark Spector's publicist at the corporation's uh Specter Core, which was like a company that Stephen Grant used to fund Moon Knight's operations. A very little minimal detail. Um, also, like while they're doing their inventory, he mentions how the sign for the Egyptian display of the Ineid like is missing two of the nine gods or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Um, I don't yeah, know yeah. which two it's missing. Is it missing Conchu and the the Crocodile Man? No, I. You know what? That is probably a good question. I looked up the Ennead afterwards, and I don't think Conchu was included in that, but there's, like, more than one of them. <laughs> like, sure. It's just, like, any grouping of nine, I guess, is what it sounded like to me. But I was actually surprised to learn that Conchu is a real Egyptian uh, god. I thought it was made-up Marvel nonsense. <laughs> I wonder who the nine could be. It's... um. The Rizza, the Jizza, the Old Dirty Bastard, You God, Raekwon the Chef, Master Killer, Ghostface Killer, Inspector Deck, and the Old Dirty Bastard. Are those the are those the uh, nine? I think so. And maybe Capadonna every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's as um, good as any. Yeah. It's the nine in my book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> did you know about the QR code in the museum scene? I did not. Was it, it one anything interesting? Yeah, if you scan the QR code in the episode, it will take you to a digital copy of Werewolf by Night 32. So That's copy. neat. Yeah, I think I like that more than the the, the license plate uh, Easter eggs they usually do. But Sure. Yeah, yeah. I like that a lot more. It gets people to read. You get free stuff, yeah. Yeah, free good stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of funny um, Easter egg that I did not put in the kind of extensive dossier of bullshit <laughs> that I wrote today uh, after school. Mm-hmm. Um, when he is putting all those like Beanie Baby figures away, you know, he's like putting away all the stuffed animals while they're doing the inventory in the gift shop, and he's talking to his really naggy boss Donna. Um, 
the figures are like a hippopotamus, a crocodile, and a lion. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's like all the different forms of this god that um, Scarecrow, Ethan Hawke worships. So. Do you think we'll get to see? Like, you've shown us Chanshu uh, properly in this episode. Do you think we'll get this? A full-on crocodile hippopotamus lion thing. <laughs> hippopotamus uh, lion crocodile thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I would like it. <laughs> I would like that very, very much. Uh, um, after work, he sits on a bench and he's speaking to a glow gold-plated street performer slash living statue about his day while eating like a burrito. Um. I thought that this was an actual statue. I didn't know that street performers and living statues were a real thing because apparently I'm a fucking idiot. I yeah, um, uh, I know. I thought this was just like a hot fuzz reference uh, because the the one there is painted gold as well. So uh, I don't know what the uh, the labor practices are with that sort of thing. What the <laughs> the industry norm is, but. Because yeah. he's like, don't forget to tip. And I was like, is that like throwing money at a wishing well? Is this like a famous <laughs> statue that it's like throw yeah, a yeah. penny at the statue and then famous loiterer? Just... <laughs> yeah, the loiterer. I thought it was Ben Franklin. And I kept thinking, like, why the fuck is there a Ben Franklin statue in mm-hmm. London? Because this whole show is set in London, which I think is neat. Famous because, traitors? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, like we've seen a lot of New York. Uh, we've seen some San Francisco recently. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting more locale. Um, I guess London was used in the Eternals, but that movie sucked. So I'm glad <laughs> like we're getting a property um, that's pretty good with like a new location. You know, because mm-hmm. Moon Knight's famously like just another New York. New York. Super, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like so 90% of Marvel, the Marvel Universe uh, events happen in New York. It- Mm-hmm. It's disproportionate a little bit there. Yeah, <laughs> the Long Island superheroes just Billy Joel. That's like all that goes down <laughs> on here. <laughs> um, the Stranger. <laughs> um, so listed in the credits, um, this statue, the living statue, was an actual person, and he was listed as Crawley in the credits. So in the comic books, uh, Bertrand Crawley is like a homeless man lives in New York that kind of serves as an informant to Moon Knight, mm-hmm. often going around like posing as like various people. Like most of the time it's like a stuffy aristocracy, British kind of vibe uh, yeah. to get information. Um, also, maybe it's a little nod to how Mark communicates with Khonshu through a statue in a lot of the comics. Like, and like when oh, Mark yeah. originally died. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's like awakened at the foot of the statue of Khonshu. Mm-hmm. Um, would be cool if this guy pops back up and he's like, hey, I got some info for you. And he's already working for Mark. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And that he would knew he was Steve and so he didn't communicate back with him. <laughs> yeah, that would be neat. Mm-hmm. Um, another reflection mirror shot that we promised that we would go about in great detail every <laughs> single time we see one. Uh, as Steven is leaving the living statue of Crawley, the shot is shown from a nearby puddle of water. And like what we think is right side up is actually upside down, just like Stephen's life is about to be turned upside down. Whoa. Um, <laughs> so that night, um, Stephen tries to kind of combat his insomnia and, and staying up by solving puzzles and studying books on ancient Egypt. Um, and he's using this like staying awake um tape or something like that <laughs> I, something along these lines with a very uh 
monotone voice that would seem to be counter to what you were wanting there. Uh, he also emulates the Loki prison uh, scene where he's just tossing up a Rubik's Cube and catching it. Yeah. In the previous shot, too, it shows the Rubik's Cube next to his bedside table solved. Also, mm-hmm. I, I did note that. Um, I was curious, like, is uh, staying awake or whatever they kept saying, like some sort of organization from the comics that I didn't know about or like forgot about. But I couldn't find a goddamn thing on it. I just thought that would be fun. But like I said, there's very little Easter eggs to anything inside the MCU outside of like just Marvel Comics or Ancient Egypt. Yeah, yeah even lore. some stuff that is from the comics isn't super recognizable. Like uh, Arthur Hero. Uh, we'll get into more after you go along here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of a sudden, <laughs> he like loses consciousness and wakes up in the European nation of Austria, I believe, uh, without memory of how he got there. And then there's a mysterious voice in his head telling Steven to give his body back to Mark. But Grant doesn't understand what the hell is going on. So like when Steven fell asleep, I guess Mark Spector took over here, traveled all the way to Austria stole a sacred scarab from a cult leader and then left Steven sleeping in the middle of a field of grass. Is that what happened? <laughs> I think so. With a broken jaw and a Bruce Campbell impersonation, pretty much just yeah, uh, good sound effects in that scene to really sell the dislocation or whatever's going on there. I'm glad like we both made note of that too. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Yeah. He just looks just like him. Uh, yeah, and like the shot is so good too. Like he's he wakes up and like his entire jaw mm-hmm. is dislocated, and he like pops it back into the socket, and it is very reminiscent of like a Sam Raimi gag, mm-hmm. especially something that Bruce Campbell would have done. I am curious if this was just practical, like the way, like maybe they just put a little putty on it and then like did like a yeah. quick cut. Um, I've recently rewatched the first three Evil Dead movies and Dark Man over the past uh, week and a half. Dark Man is an interesting for, uh, multiverse. Multiverse, yeah. I Sam Raimi hasn't made a new movie in nine years. Is it how long it's been since uh, Oz? That's how long it's been since Oz the Great and Powerful, and his career's so wild. Because he made the Evil Dead with nothing, and then it got edited by a little-known guy by the name of Joel Cohen, and then <laughs> they went off and made a movie called Crime Wave that no one saw and isn't good. Um, it is on really, Tubi, though. If you know it that. is? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost watched it last night. <laughs> Just watch the Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I When I was re-watching the first Evil Dead, I was kind of taken back with how effective and good that movie is. Like whenever I think like, Oh, I'm going to go watch an evil dead movie. I, I've always put on the second one for the past couple of years. And then I yeah. do the first one. It's short. It's sweet. The last, like much like the second two, but like the last 45 minutes is basically like a one man play. <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. is guy like putting on a clinic breakdown. Yeah. And it's, it's just so effective. And Bruce Campbell is like hot in that one. <laughs> um, 
he's a guy whose like career I always felt bad because he's always been like so close. He was so close to being like a leading man. And for like all intents and purposes, like there's no reason he shouldn't. And I think if he like was around today, he would be like, he would be the Chris Pratt or the, the Hemsworth. You know oh, yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, he does have like kind of like a caricature face where he's like yes, cartoonishly yes, he looks like a, a fair drawing of a person. With a... Yeah, of like what does a handsome like cartoon person look like? And Bruce yeah. Campbell is like the living version of that. Um, and yeah, and then like Evil Dead Two is essentially just a remake of like their first movie, and then they made Dark Man because Raimi couldn't secure the rights to the Batman or the Shadow, and likes oh, Universal Monster. Yeah, yeah. yeah, isn't that neat? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, so like piggybacking basically off of um off of Batman 89 and Tim Burton's success, Raimi thought like, "Oh, I'll make the second Batman movie. I got all this steam." And they're like, "No, we're going to have Burton come back." And he's like, "That's fine. I'll make The Shadow." And like for some reason at that We have plans with that uh, with Alec Baldwin and, and, and Tim, Tim Burton and Tim Curry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I actually do enjoy that movie. It's pretty racist, but it it's still, like a fun movie for the time. The flying talking Mongolian dagger that yes. is the villain of oh yeah, my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's a very silly movie. I uh, enjoy it. I was really excited for that movie when it was in theaters. Um, oh, oh yeah. I, yeah. I I mean you know me pretty well. You kind of like know my taste in things and you kind of know I have an affinity towards really dumb 1930 and 40 superhero yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's very like, like pulpy uh not as pulpy as like the Rocketeer. I think the Rocketeer is probably the better movie uh, by a wide margin, but wide margin. Yeah, yeah. Um but I was I was like on board with with all that stuff as a kid and and my grandfather uh, used to listen to like old records of like radio plays and he had a lot of um, records of the shadow and oh, and the yeah. phantom and doc savage and superman the radio series uh, a lot of orson wells like cbs theater and stuff and like i kind of grew up like listening to that in the background so like as a little kid like i was probably the only kid running around being like only the shadow knows <laughs> i mean only what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> you know um yeah. But, you know, I was first in line for that and uh, Billy Zane's uh, The Phantom as well. I was going to ask you if you had seen that. I almost of watched course. it I, just to see how good it is. I, <laughs> I haven't seen it since, you know, probably uh, like VHS, but I did see it in theaters when it came out. I was like all about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, you know, The Phantom was an old radio serial, blah, blah, blah. And some kid probably just punched me and stole my <laughs> money. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? <laughs> It took my Ace of Base tape and walked away. Yeah, crying. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you heard uh, the uh, the theory that Ace of Base was secretly a Nazi band? I've heard that theory. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. They're all very Aryan-looking people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've read the theory, and it, it sounds like there may be some validity to it. Uh, you saw the signs? You, you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's that song they have about the welfare queen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they have, like, a song about, like, abortion that, like, all that she wants is another baby or something, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the welfare queen song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then their name may be a reference to a, a, an actual Nazi thing. That's insane. When yeah, yeah. um when I was a little kid, it's very like um 
you know, Darby, Stephen King or Stand By Me or something like that, like mm-hmm. looking back on it or like Stranger Things, like it was like 1991. And, you know, I rode my mongoose menace down to we had like bike jumps like down the street, like in mm-hmm. the woods and like older kids would like make these bike jumps. And I remember like I had my mongoose menace and like I probably had my bugle boy shirt on and like I rode the bike down and I was like listening to Ace of Base and like my Walkman. And like there were like older kids there like smoking cigarettes with like, you know, they they had like the spiky hair. They look like John Connor, basically. Mm-hmm. And I remember them being like, what are you listening to? And I was like, Ace of Base. And the kid just like pushed me. <laughs> And I just like walked home like sad, like Aww. what the fuck did I just do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very mean, like nineties thing to do. Um, but yeah, Dark Man, he couldn't secure the rights because they they had plans for uh the Shadow and the Phantom and all these characters that he wanted to adapt, and he couldn't get the rights from uh Tim Burton with Batman because the first one was such a success. But he was apparently and I mean you could see it like in the DNA of him, like Sam Raimi seems like the kind of guy who was really into universal monsters. Mm-hmm. So he thought like, what if I incorporated elements of like these universal monster movies into like a superhero origin story? So it was kind of like Claude Rains's invisible man or, or the Wolfman meets, um, meets Batman or the shadow. Yeah, yeah. And that was like his pitch and that's what he got to do. Um, but he got to do it on a big budget with an R rating. And that would like never happen today. And apparently like very little oversight. Um, The movie was so much weirder than I remembered rewatching it. And I I had like a blast watching it the other night. Liam Neeson, like his first big action Mm -hmm. movie, American role. Um, Francis McDormand as a love interest is great. Um, Classic late eighties, early nineties where like the bad guy is like tied up in some like, real estate plot you know <laughs> you know oh, what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like we'll Something take control relatable and <laughs> yeah yeah exactly not donald trump but uh, <laughs> uh um but you know like robocop like yeah you know, yeah yeah it's very much that where like the guy had like a little model of the city that he like wanted to build and shit like that and um that movie's weird it's like batman and... returns the uh no uh fucking uh woken oh, yeah, when he built yeah. like, the power plant thing uh, yeah it's like the whole thing is like he's trying to get like the plans for his power plant approved yeah. or something like that. And like he's just like the mayor's in my way, so I'll get a new mayor, you know. It's yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, so long story short, Dark Man fucking rules. And this reminded us both of uh Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. I guess that's mm-hmm. where we still are, right? Um yeah. Kanchu, played by the great F. Murray Abraham, who I adore. His uh, Academy Award winning performance in Amadeus is one of the greatest. I know him best as um, Omar in Scarface, the sleazy underling to the main drug dealer. I'm a big fan of uh, F. Murray Abraham and his weird, uh, craggly face. He was also in like Inside Lewin Davis, um, All the President's Men voice actor and like fantastic mr fox all these wes anderson movies uh, he mm-hmm. he's he, one of the like he gets around the, he gets around he's one of the like that guy you know like you yeah, know that guy's yeah. face you know that guy's voice um Kanchu is weird so far <laughs> in this show and i texted you while i was watching it how mm-hmm. i was getting uh venom vibes from yeah this. yeah yeah it it is pretty uh very venomy and i don't 
love how venomy it is, but <laughs> I can understand why they went that route. I, I'm hoping. I think I just like imagine James Earl Jones's voice is coming through. Uh, sure. Uh, just not yet authoritative. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's just what I always thought. I guess. Yeah, it's. it's and it's his sh- voice is good and everything. It's just yeah. It, I don't know. It's commanding. Like mm-hmm. you know, F. Murray Abram has a very distinct, bold, commanding voice, but the <laughs> the deliveries, like I, I think, at the end of the day, we're going to see some insecurities in Konshu himself here, mm-hmm. which is a kind of strange take for the Egyptian moon deity <laughs> who possesses a ruthless mercenary, making him his avatar. Um, Apparently, Conchu has less control, though, over uh, Mark Steven identity than he does on Mark himself. Um, this show here started because I've heard the uh, series be described by its creators as um, Indiana Jones meets Fight Club, which is a good vibe. Yeah, yeah. I'm, into, I'm into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also got like a lot of like Nolan's Memento or... Um, or Legion, the FX show kind yeah. of vibes here. You um, can see that. Huh? Yeah, but like him pulling the the secret scarab out of his pocket <laughs> and, and things along those lines. And like he gets attacked by like a group of these like armed people and, and runs to the streets of like some nearby town. Very Indiana Jonesy mm-hmm. kind of kind of adventure stuff. Um, and when he gets to the streets, this is where we see Ethan Hawke's Arthur Harrow preaching to his disciples about Amit and bestowing her judgment uh, upon them. Um Hero gets informed that the scarab of Amit's been stolen by some mercenary, and he points Grant out as their target, but he denies it. Um, Arthur Harrow from the comic books. Um, there was an Arthur Harrow in the comic books. Um, I'll talk more on who I think Ethan Hawke is actually playing here in the amalgamation of characters that I think this is portrayed as. Because Arthur Harrow was a one-off villain from a single issue in 1985's Moon Knight number two. He was this guy with a half-paralyzed face, um, a doctor who was up for a Nobel Prize for his work in pain theory, but turned out that Arthur was actually involved with horrible experiments at Auschwitz, and he was a Nazi living in Mexico, where he attempted to continue his experimentation on human beings. Mm-hmm. Um the, the whole no- there's really just the pain thing <laughs> it seemed like a holder uh everything yeah. else looks new yeah and the the pain thing kind of brings back some thoughts i have on the opening sequence where he breaks a shattered glass and puts mm-hmm. it inside the sandal because like if it's similar to the character that you know Arthur Harrow in the comic books with not being able to feel pain, then putting the broken glass in his, in his sandal kind of makes him like a little bit of a poser. Um, <laughs> I, I, it I is think, cheating a bit. Yeah, it's a real corny move, I think. Yeah. Um, Ethan Hawke has said that the version of this character is based on David Koresh, the leader of the Christian cult, the yeah, Branch yeah. Davidian from Waco, where everyone drank the Kool-Aid and wore the cool Adidas uh, tracksuits. <laughs> Um, much like the one I'm wearing right now. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think this Hawks version on the show is going to end up having some 
amalgamation of some deeper kind of comic book lore identities that we're going to get revealed a little bit later on in this series. Um, How did you feel about the tattoo moving? Did you find that to be a very silly thing the way I did? the, The magic tattoo? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really silly. So the the magic tattoo turns green for good and red for bad. Um, <laughs> Stop and, and it, go. Yes, yes. Yeah, no. and it like drains people of their their life force and like turns them into like gray zombie people. Yeah, it's got like a mythological minority report aspect to it. <laughs> where uh, and sure. it's, it also becomes kind of a conundrum where one of the people. Uh, is judged to be a bad person, and they die. And uh, he believes them when they say that they've been a good person, but they might not have been later in life. So, But now they're not going to have that later in life. So they would have died a good person. So, yeah, it's all very... It's uh, a quandary. Yeah, it is. It is. Maybe this Ethan Hot cultist guy isn't such a great guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like... Like you said, it's based on the sins of past, present, future, and even those that have not yet been committed. Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to bring up, I'm curious if there are multiversal implications of this and maybe the potential for people to be judged for the actions that their variants have or will oh, be yeah, yeah. committing. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're like just this bad entity, whether it be in this multiverse, this reality, this life, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe if we're dealing with ancient Egyptian stuff, like a resurrection cycle, kind of 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 sorts too. Um, yeah, we see Harrow followers gather to be judged, which <laughs> is really weird. And he grabs the hands of um of these people and places a cane between his forearms, like a pendulum and this magic tattoo dances and declares whether the person's worthy of life. Um, so after the we win this, it makes it sound silly. It's silly it's, than, yeah. And, uh, it's very goofy. I, I'm thinking this guy's going to be a one-off. I'm thinking like, um, did you ever watch Pete and Pete on Nickelodeon as a kid? I did. I don't remember a ton though. Um, Do you remember the dancing petunia tattoo on the little kid? Oh yeah. 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 And he would like flex his like fatty roll and it would like make the tattoo kind mm-hmm. of dance or something. That's kind of like what it reminds what me of. What we're dealing with here. Yes. yes. That's what we're dealing with here. Um, uh, so I we would <laughs> like the way that he outs the, uh, the intruder, uh, Mercenary. Well, yes, yes. The uh, just where he has all of his followers bow, and he's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The deal, and he's like, oh yeah. shit, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything Oscar Isaac does here makes me think he's having the fucking time of his life, and it's so much fucking fun. Like, like you said, like he outs him, and he's like discovered as as the intruder. And then, like, he's like, just give me back the scarab, and and you can go. But then, um. Steve Grant like loses control over his body and Oscar Isaac's physical acting is fucking awesome. Like the way his facial expressions are just like completely detached from like what the rest of his body's doing again, very Bruce Campbell-y with the, mm-hmm. the, the possessed hand, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of Tom Hardy's Venom stuff too. Just yeah. 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 N- another great example of masterful uh, <laughs> acting, you know, by one of the finest at his craft. Um, then the, what I've been calling the flickering happens. Um, 
I see it like the cynic in me thinks of all the money they save <laughs> by not depicting these action scenes. Uh, so we see no Mark Spector for the majority of this episode, and all of the action for the most part is shown after the facts. And whenever Mark is taking control of the body during these points of conflict, um, we get these like flickers of sound and light and vision before hard cutting to the aftermath, which is rather bloody. Like, you know, especially for like a Disney plus show, like you wake up and there's like dead people everywhere and Oscar Isaac's covered in blood. Yeah. 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 And like, everyone is like in shock and awe over like whatever just happened. Um, Again, like it could be a way to save a bunch of money. Uh, it could be a way to, um, I, I'm curious too, the cynic in me is curious if the action would be too graphic for Disney Plus considering the amount of blood that's shown in its wake. And also knowing that recently Disney Plus has like censored graphic content from the previous Marvel shows like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And yeah, stuff yeah. Like that. Uh, granted, that was apparently an accident where there are going to be multiple versions uh depending on if you're signed into your mature rating or not um on disney plus really interesting um but yeah i i was curious like is it disney trying to stray away from violence or is it disney trying to save some money but honestly it's like i do think it worked uh well enough for what they're doing here Though I do kind of think of the uh, Willem Dafoe and No Way Home, where you see him visually transition from Norman Osborn to the Goblin without being in a silly costume, and just with his mannerisms, and how fun that would be here. Granted, I do think we're going to see that later, but this first episode, it's all Steve. Uh, yeah, like Steve is our right along. Where he, like, he wakes yeah. up and he, a sudden shift, but yeah. And like I, I mentioned it to you before we started recording how this week I watched a bunch of bummer fucking movies. Um, <laughs> one of which was um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer starring um, friend of the podcast, Michael Rooker, our uh, patron saint of the podcast, potentially, um, mm-hmm. where that movie is really hard to watch. It is a very, very um, stark tale of a sociopath and someone who kills mm-hmm. with absolutely no remorse or care and for no apparent reason or whatever. Uh, but the entire opening sequence of that movie is like Michael Rooker's character, Henry, this, this serial killer basically like pulls into a gas station. You know, you, we see him talking to the guy, buying some cigarettes or gas or whatever, and then driving away. And then there's just this hard cut inside of this guy, just like totally fucking butchered. And then, you know, you know, you see him talking to this girl at a restaurant and then driving away. And then there's just like a hard cut of her, like tied up and like all fucked up. Mm. And we don't see the act of the killing, but we do see the wake in the aftermath of it and like you know i was thinking about that movie a lot obviously because it's a movie that makes you think about it the next day whether you want to or not it's a movie you will remember watching when you watch it because it is intense um but each one of those little hard cut vignettes that last 20 seconds or five seconds or whatever they each have a story of their own like who's going to find that fucking body and like Mm -hmm. what happened to that body and like that person had kids and that person had a family and there's just like a lot to there um and you feel all of that in this really quick instance and this really quick um 
brief display of, of the graphic nature of it. Um, but you actually don't see any of the, um, the graphic deeds being done, yeah, so yeah. to speak. Um, so it's kind of interesting to find a parallel between Henry Porcher of a serial killer and fucking Moon, Knight. Moon Knight. Yeah. Somehow we always do. <laughs> it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't bring up any of the underseen Michael Rooker movies. So hopefully next week we'll be able to talk about Cliffhanger a little bit. Um <laughs> Grant tries to escape from Harold's disciples in a cupcake van while they keep chasing him on the road. And Grant, like, kind of periodically blacks out and wakes up with dead attackers around him as Conchu mm -hmm. continues to berate him. So Mark will continuously take over. We'll get what I've been calling the flickering. Um, and we'll just wake up and be in, like, a heightened situation. It'll get, like, worse and worse. Yes. Um, yes. Yep. Um and the voice in his head keeps telling him, like, don't give up the scarab, don't give up the scarab before Grant wakes up in his apartment, assuming that the entire chase scene was just this, like, really realistic nightmare, and he is well, relieved. I do want to mention that one of my gripes with the episode is some dodgy CGI in the log truck scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not too egregious, but yeah, it's not great. I'm assuming they're they're saving their money for something here. There's, I assume, spending the same amount as they do on all the other uh, Disney Plus shows, so, and they've kind of re been res restrained in some areas for a big payoff down the line. Like, Loki was the biggest example of that, where... Oh, yeah. You know, With the void. Episodes. Yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of money spent there. Sure. And mm -hmm. WandaVision, unfortunately, like, the better parts of that show were when there was, like, very little money being spent. Yes. Yes, uh, and just uh, I'm, I'm just going to say that I'm hoping it's because they're they're saving up for their raid episode, where it's just Moon Knight going up a building, beating the fuck out of a hundred and. <laughs> yeah, there's an amazing issue which everyone should read if you're gonna like pick up a Moon Knight book. Mm -hmm. Like, if you are a listener and um, you're like, oh, I've never read Moon Knight, but I like the way these guys are talking about them, and you want to like get the vibe of Moon Knight and like get all the vibes of Moon Knight, uh, Warren Ellis and Jordi Belair's um, Moon Knight series from like 2012, 2013 during like the Marvel Now era, um, that is the book uh, in the Moon Knight series that I would recommend. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where Mr. Knight is introduced, and that is where the issue Travis is discussing yes, happens, yes. where it's essentially a side-scroller beat-em-up, where Moon Knight has to get from the bottom of a building to the top of a building, and each floor has a different kind of bad guy that he has to beat the fuck out of. Um, it's like, much like yes. <laughs> it's simple, it's effective, it's an action story, it's die-hard, it's the raid, it's the best. Right, yeah. Dread, that is a movie yeah. you could remake a billion times, and I would watch it every time. I mean, so long as the action's on point, it's yeah. Uh, we were talking about spot on music cues when he gets in this weird <laughs> cupcake van. Wham's "Wake Me Up Before You Go, Girl" starts playing, which is a bit on the nose, but it is fun because of the juxtaposition of like the action and the situation of it all, and this like ridiculous pop song playing. But again wake me up and like am i dreaming like wake up am i dreaming like i get it mm -hmm. but still <laughs> kind of fun yeah. um maybe we'll get um it's it's the second most egregious george michael needle drop of the past couple months the first being um faith from uh 
Sir Ridley Scott's uh, House of Gucci, uh, which was ridiculous. I knew you were going to say House of Gucci before you said it. I, I halfway expected you to say the Super Mario movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Yeah, yeah, the sequel with yeah. the with Bob. Lady Gaga. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That movie's a bummer. Movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer because like Adam Driver, um, my roommate and I were joking. I was like, "Man, Driver's such a stud," and he just texted me back, "He's a thoroughbred," and I was like, "Yeah, he really is. <laughs> he is the fucking best." <laughs> Um, we get a fun reflection mirror shot too when Steven wakes up and I know I promised the uh, listeners that I, we would go into great detail on every single reflection and mirror shot that we see throughout the episode. Steven wakes up relieved in his apartment and it is framed between two mirrors mm. further showcasing his fractured consciousness and perception of reality slash split personalities between the voice in his head, Mark and what's the name of this guy? Steven Grant. <laughs> <laughs> So back to reality. Um, Grant notices that Gus, his goldfish, appears to have two fins now instead of one that Grant previously often noted. Um, and he goes to a pet shop owner to find out what happened. Um, did Mark Spector replace the fish the same way a parent would replace a fish if they noticed it died uh, in order to trick their idiot children who might not have noticed? <laughs> I, I believe so. Yes. Yes, I think that's exactly what happened. I uh, I think it's probably for the best. The other option is to maim the new goldfish to where it fits in better. <laughs> uh, it's and we yeah, yeah. And we haven't seen a pet store employee harassed since the first Thor movie where Thor tries to buy a horse. That is true. Very yes. good callback. Very good callback. Yeah, the pet store uh, shop tells them that all the fish at their store have two fins. Um, and God, she says like, oh, this is the same thing I told you the other day. Yeah. Blah, yeah. Blah, it blah, right? It's been like two days since he's been in Austria. Or yeah. wherever. Or Latveria. Yeah. <laughs> Latveria, potentially. Latveria confirmed. Um, Grant notices the clock hanging on the wall, reminds him that he has a date with the foxy um, tour guide at his job, so he rushes over to the steakhouse, but the foxy tour guide, Dylan, does not come. And then when he tries to call her, Dylan tells him that their date was two days ago, and Grant was the one who dumped her. He does not understand what happens. Um and then he asked for an expensive cut of steak well done, which is kind of a bummer. Um, uh, do you eat your steak well done like that, Travis? I do not eat steak at all. Oh, good for you, man. That's yeah, probably no, good no, I just don't you. like steak. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wish I could just eat raw meat um, <laughs> and people wouldn't judge me for it. Um I shouldn't. It's not the greatest thing for me. I get uh, what I call meat sweats. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, but when I eat like too much red meat, I start like sweating. Um, I think it's because I'm a um, a goomba from a from uh, yeah, <laughs> Long yeah, Island. Yeah. I think I'm just like the most stereotypical Mario goomba. No, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty close. I'm wearing a tracksuit. Wait, is that a racist thing? Uh, and with the uh, with the Super Mario Brothers, surely that wouldn't be in a Nintendo product. Surely that wouldn't be a Nintendo product. Yeah, I go to uh, I go to the butcher and then I just start throwing barrels at this monkey. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
Oh, man. Um, sad in that his date did not go as planned, Grant returns to his apartment where he notices something hidden behind the plank. Um, this is where he finds a key cell phone that only has two contacts and a bunch of missed calls, Layla and DeComp. And when he was about to call Layla, he receives a call from her. The voice on the phone tells Grant that she's been looking for him for months. She's calling him Mark and Grant responds with much confusion that he's not Mark. And this is when Layla hangs up on him. Grant then hears his own voice calling for him, but he doesn't find anyone in his apartment. Although he does notice now that his reflection in the mirror is moving on its own. So let's talk about these two contacts in the Nokia razor. Uh, telephone that he finds in there. I liked your text. Do they still sell razors <laughs> today? <laughs> well, this is my first cell phone. Whenever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember thinking yeah, I was like, I thought maybe he shit. was experiencing time differently. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I recently found like because I cleared up uh, the basement at the house I'm living in, and um, I found like a box with like three old razors in it. Mm-hmm. Um. I found all sorts of fun stuff. I found a bag of drugs. I found uh, a bunch of old comic books. I found X-Men Wolverine Origins bootleg on DVD. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know that how hard it would be to find that work for it edition that was so fun. <laughs> it was so fun. And I mean, it was I found interesting it. to see like the process, uh, like a rough cut of the film like that. It was more enjoyable than actually watching the movie. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember just like the scenes, especially like towards the end. For for listeners that don't know, there was a kind of famous work print of um, X Men Wolverine Origins the, that like somehow leaked uh, to a bunch of BitTorrent sites like Pirate Bay and stuff like that, like a month before the actual movie was released in theaters. So a lot of people got to see it beforehand and got to realize it was probably bad. So save your money. Um, only thing is this work print had like, they it didn't have finished special effects. So we had like all the old school blue screen, the shots with like Cyclops or was it Cyclops in that movie? Like as like a kid and he was like fake laser blitz. <laughs> Deadpool was Cyclops. Yeah, um, yeah. Deadpool was Nightcrawler and Cyclops and pretty much anyone. Uh they just took a lot of liberties with the character on that one. And and Will I Am from Fergie's band was in it. Um. Yeah, and Gambit, <laughs> the only live action appearance of Gambit. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when uh, they were making that Channing Tatum Gambit movie for, <laughs> for like thirty 10 years? years? Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Yeah, it'll come out the same time that The Flash comes out. I still don't believe either of those movies are real. Uh, The Flash seems like it might be real, but I'm I'm putting my money on the table right now, listeners. No, it's not real. I've been telling you this for like years. Like The Flash is not a real movie and it's never going to happen, especially now that uh, Ezra Miller is a fucking mess. Um, So, yeah, let's talk about the names. Uh, John Paul DeCamp, a.k.a. Frenchie in the comic books. Um, DeCamp. AKA Frenchie is a mercenary and ex French foreign legion officer who works very closely with Mark. Um, he kind of acts as Moon Knight's like mentor slash assistant slash sidekick. And is basically Alfred and Robin rolled into one character <laughs> for Moon Knight, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, no one has been announced as cast as Frenchie. Um, but again, we've already said call, uh, Vincent Cassell or the guy from Titan. That would be very fun. 
So Layla, I have two theories um, about who this could be based on the name Layla and some comic book stuff that I know. There is only one character named Layla in all of Marvel Comics, and that is Layla Miller, who debuted in House of M number four by Brian Michael Bendis and Olivia Coppell. Layla Miller was a mutant who grew up in an orphanage after accidentally killing both of her parents. She originally had a horn on her head and could breathe fire until the Scarlet Witch fucked with the fabric of reality, and when she was placed in a reality where her parents were very much alive and her powers were now passed on to include the perception of different realities. And this power was very helpful as she was able to uh, assist Dr. Strange in reverting what Wanda had done during the house of M event. She later went on to study mystical arts with um, Mr. Dr. Doom in Latveria and became the resident Latverian exorcist and did like cool location spells. And she ended up traveling through time with the X-Men for a bit as one does. Um, Layla Miller and Moon Knight have never interacted at all in the comics. So? I don't think it's Layla Miller. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole lot of words to say. That's not the one. Yeah, that's not yeah, the one. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. But in case you are interested in a character that you're not interested about, now you know. <laughs> so in uh, IMDb does have an actress named May. Calamway, I can't pronounce her name. Uh, she is credited as Layla L. Foley. Um, there's no character with this name in the comic book, so here's my theory. This is a new character who's going to be a hybrid of Marlene uh, Moon Knight's romantic interest in the comic books. I mentioned um, when we were kind of going over Moon Knight's origin story, mm-hmm. how Bushman killed an archaeologist. Um, that archaeologist's daughter was Marlene. She eventually became Moon Knight's romantic interest and kind of um, confidant. Um, I think it's going to be an amalgamation or hybrid rather of that character and a character named Mehmet Fowl, who is the daughter of an evil archaeologist whom eventually becomes the villainous Scarlet Scarab. And here's my theory within a theory. I think Ethan Hawke is actually going to end up being some kind of Scarlet Scarab-esque character based on what we've seen of him already in this episode. Um, He really wants that Scarab really badly. Maybe he's got a link to this Layla character. Maybe it's like her dad. Maybe she's like escaping this cult. Who the Mm -hmm. fuck knows? You know what I mean? But I could see that Scarab holding some sort of value to him and it being some sort of mix of the Arthur Harrow character, this character. And actually, like another character named Morningstar, who's from, uh, who's like a cult leader from um, fucking uh, the Werewolf by Night issue where Moon Knight was introduced. And th- this guy fucking rules. His cult uh, hangs out at 666, um, like Fifth Avenue and shit. Like all the buildings they live or like the address outside is like 666. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Park Place. It's like awesome. Um, so I can see it kind of being like all these other like lower tier Moon Knight, Marvel villains. Well, that's the thing. is like Moon Knight doesn't have a ton of notable villains. There's Bushman. There's, there's Bushman. Midnight Man, who he winds up with a sidekick. Uh, Midnight Man Mid- is in the show. Yes. Yes. Uh, the actor who's uh, playing him uh, passed away. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And Midnight Man, like, doesn't have any superpowers. He's just, like, 
a karate guy who kind of looks like the Prowler from Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. I'm unsure <laughs> on which Midnight we're getting. I don't know if it's just the villain or if it's the future sidekick character, but... Oh, true. Yeah. And there's also... Um, Moon Knight has a villain kind of called the Sun King, who everyone wants to be Moon Knight's big villain. Yeah. Because the Sun King has the powers. He's like, he's the avatar of a sun god. The yeah, same yeah. way Moon they Knight's the avatar of a They want the mirror match that yeah, we're complaining yeah. about Marvel always giving us. <laughs> you want reptile versus noob cybot? You get it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. So that's kind of what I think is going on. Um. With uh, this Layla person, I do think that would be a good change, kind of on par with making King the uh, uh, he who remains like that little tweak. Uh, We're going to talk about Kang a little bit later, my friend. Oh, are we? <laughs> okay. Okay. I oh, see are how. we? I see how. Oh, oh are we? Um. So suddenly the apartment building gets hit with like some sort of blackout and a very scared Grant tries to escape uh, by use of an elevator. A lot of fancy mirror shots here. Uh, big flex <laughs> from the cinematographer um, before being approached by a mysterious figure. Uh, the figure materializes behind him. The elevator doors open and it lurches towards him. This is Conchu. And Kanchu looks fucking awesome. He's yes. got the beak skull. He's got the staff with the amulet. He's wrapped in linen. I don't think he's got like a body under the skull. Yeah, like yeah. he's like, it's fucking sick, dude. It's as comic accurate as good hope for. It. And yeah, it looks dope. It's just a really cool design. Scary well too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh uh, Stephen was being a weirdo uh, in general in this uh, elevator beyond just being very nervous because this uh, old lady that Kanchu turns <laughs> into is very scared by the end of their elevator ride but we just see him cowering in a corner <laughs> I mean I've never been to London um, oh that's true I've never I... been to France I've never seen Oscar Isaac I've, I've seen Oscar Isaac's underpants but um, in New York you, you see people well I was going to say <laughs> I, I forgot this, this was in London and not New York I was thinking this would be very standard behavior in a big city so, yeah that's how it goes yeah, yeah just yeah. crackhead people smoking <laughs> K2 on the side of the street yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah of course of course um, yeah Conchu looks fucking great though man um, it makes me very happy to see. And um, mm -hmm. I'm glad we, you know, sometimes less is more. Obviously, I want to get like a fucking good look at him eventually. Mm -hmm. But um, the way he's utilized here, the lurching, lumbering, running towards the elevator where you kind of get an idea of how he moves. That's yes. really sick. Um, and then the close up, obviously, of the beak where he kind of manifests behind him and it'll like utilize like a jump scare and like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking cool. Especially like delve into those supernatural elements of Moon Knight um, because we haven't seen a ton of it outside of like the Doctor Strange franchise and like a little in WandaVision, like the mm -hmm. horror side of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, hopefully we'll get a little bit more in the Multiverse of Madness. Um but God, I hope Sam Raimi's got it in a man. Like, remember, okay, 
so sorry to talk about Sam Raimi again, <laughs> but we didn't talk about the later half of his career because uh, he makes Army of Darkness. He makes a simple plan and then he becomes the Spider-Man guy. And he makes two Spider-Man movies that he really likes and one that he doesn't really like to talk about that he doesn't seem like ashamed of. And he made his money and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. And then he doesn't make a movie for like five years. And often you get those guys like, oh, he's going back to his roots and he's going to do it. You know, he's going to mm-hmm. make a low budget, whatever made him a bunch of money. And most of the time that like doesn't work out and it's not great. But like Drag Me to Hell ripped. <laughs> <laughs> like that movie ripped. Um, I I don't love it, but there's a scene in the car that is extremely gross and hilarious that I do think is kind of great. Uh, it's top to your Raimi. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't uh, disagree there at all. Uh. And um, also, like, just like the title, like, The Evil Dead, like, that's mm-hmm. sick. And, like, Dark Man, that's fucking sick. Like, oh, why don't we name our movie Drag Me to Hell? Like, yeah, that is fucking sick. Um, and then he did it. And, like, for a minute, I was like, wow, is Sam Raimi back? Is he going to do it? And then he makes Oz the Great and Powerful. And nobody really likes it. And it just kind of comes and goes. And he doesn't make a movie for fucking nine years. Granted, it would have been like seven if COVID never happened. But like he comes back with Doctor Strange and like the original Doctor Strange director, uh, Scott Derrickson, left um, after he was like announced to be making it and like all the pre-production started. And then he left for quote unquote creative differences, which is Marvel speak for they didn't let me do what I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> you know, creative control issues. Yeah. Um and then they hire Sam Raimi. So like part of me, I'm I'm jazzed that Raimi's making a movie again. Um really influential guy in my life in terms of just like stuff that I like. You know what I mean? Like Sam Raimi built a lot of that stuff. He built mm-hmm. um The Evil Dead, which was uh formative films. For me, I'm not sure about you, but I'm imagining for you too. Uh, Army of Darkness was. I didn't see Evil Dead till much later for some reason. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Army of Darkness, I saw a lot growing up, but yeah. I saw it in the movie theaters with my like cool older cousin, which was a lot of fun because <laughs> uh, I was little. I was like eight, you know what I mean? Okay, see, uh, my cool older cousin is who showed me the movie as well, but yes. Cool. It was Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and I, I always remember like the evil dead being these kind of like looming VHS titles that like I would see <laughs> and just be like, I don't know if I'm ready to fuck with that. Like, cause that, that second, um, films VHS cover was just kind of insane. Like that mm-hmm. skull, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but again, and then, you know, he, he shaped what a superhero movie was going to look like and feel like for the next however many years. We're still living in the wake of what Sam Raimi did. Now he's returning to it, like, but you just fired the previous director because, like, you thought he was doing too much of his own shit. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. I hope I, I saw one shot in the trailer of, like, the camera flying around. And yeah, I was yeah. like, all right, all right, I see it, uh-huh. I, you know. Uh, I just hope there's a lot of that. Um so, um, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, Grant kind of blacks out and he finds himself on the bus on the way to the museum. Um, we see a good look at Conchu, yeah, just like waiting for outside. the next bus, I guess. <laughs> yeah, th- that was cool. Um, outside the window. Um, and then when he gets off the bus, Grant sees Harrow on the bus. Um, 
you know, he just left and, and then runs into the museum. But Harrow and his disciples found him and they surround him. Um, Harrow talks to Grant about Amit here and their mission to help save the world before judging Grant himself um, and the hysterically lame fucking magic tattoo doesn't know what to do it, it, it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, they pretty much just tell you uh what moon knight's uh character alignment is if you want to play him in D, &D he is chaotic good chaotic good yeah, yeah. um there's a uh, he claims he has chaos in him yes yes there's also a double avatar reference here um uh, that works for me yeah, yeah. Well, I, I took issue with one part of it. Like they referenced the, the James Cameron avatar, and then they referenced the uh, the cartoon avatar, which they refer to as anime, which it is not, unless you live in Japan. Yeah, uh, but fucking Grant doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but it's like calling Looney Tunes anime. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it is emulating uh, Japanese animation, I guess, somewhat, but... Uh, um, Harrow brings up a lot of stuff about his god Amit and um, how, you know, she should have been in the pantheon of the gods and then eventually like the gods betrayed her. And she was betrayed by her own avatar, which sparks the um, controversial double avatar joke on this podcast. Yes, yes. Um, do you think that it's possible here that the reason the gods and the people and the avatars betrayed Amit was at the mercy of a one pharaoh Ramatet, aka Kang, hashtag Kang train. I do not. I do not. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just throwing it out there just yeah. in case uh, do it does happen. I want to be the one who says it. Yeah, Mirroring mentioned that the two were missing from the Ennead poster. Yeah, I do think these are the two gods, Kanshu and Amit. Uh, because if it's the narrative <laughs> I also want to bring up how um, it is potential for like the introduction of like apocalypse or something here. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Um, and I don't want to like rule that out just in case I am right. I don't have my theory formulated yet, but uh, some real uh, Oscar Isaac Inception stuff there with, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. As his famous portrayal as Ivan, who is playing apocalypse yes, yes, in uh, uh, X-Men apocalypse, a movie that I kind of like. Uh, it is a very watchable bad movie. I enjoy it. I agree. I yeah. agree. Um, Harrow also brings up all sorts of nasty shit about how if uh, Emmett was still alive and could do her bidding, oh, uh, yeah, stuff yeah. like the uh, Hitler and the Holocaust and Pol Pot and the Armenian genocide wouldn't have actually happened. Uh, kind of reminiscent of um, Rhodey's going back in time and strangling baby Hitler, mm -hmm. Thanos kind of theory. Um the show, I was telling you before we started recording, the show has been reviewed bombed uh, by some viewers uh, due to the references, particularly that of the Armenian genocide, because for some reason they don't want to acknowledge like one of the hard, most horrible things that's ever happened. Um, that I don't really want to get to on the show, but he does bring it up and it was kind of jarring to hear, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it made me think of the uh, Eternal scene where Thassos uh, goes to Hiroshima and yeah, yeah. Yeah, except it's not this movie that explicit. It's just a mention yeah. of it, not like going to it and yeah. It's not that stupid and insensitive. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
I love your idea of like uh fastos like um going to 9-11 and like was that you like uh you know him like helping the Wright brothers like oh yeah, yeah 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 because that would have prevented 9-11 like it would have fastos come on Brian Tyrese Henry um I almost said something really bad there. I was going to say, get the dick out of your mouth and. and oh yeah, on, yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'll edit that or keep it in and double it. But um, <laughs> the next section of my notes, I have labeled "Night of the Jackal," which I thought was pretty fun. Mm. It's a movie reference and also a Spider-Man reference. I have um, a movie reference coming up soon too. Do you? Yeah. Is it Resident Evil starring Mila Jovovich? Because <laughs> some of this reminded me of Resident Evil. No, it's actually uh, another Bruce Campbell vehicle. We'll get there. Okay, okay. Huh? So at night, Grant gets ambushed by a jackal monster while Harrow demands him to hand over the scarab um, if he does not want to be torn apart by the jackal monster. And running away from the creature, Grant locks himself in the restroom, but the creature follows him, tries to break inside. Suddenly, Grant's reflection, a lot of really fancy mirror shots here, um, in the mirror starts talking to him, telling Grant to hand over the control to him. This is Mark Spector speaking to him at this Mm -hmm. point, the mirror of Mark. Oscar Isaac's playing a very visibly different and mannered character in the mirror than he is, you know, as uh, Stephen Grant throughout the entire episode. Um, So the reflection in the mirror is telling Grant to hand control over to him. Otherwise they're both going to be torn apart and killed. Scared and confused. Grant ultimately complies and allows Moon Knight to take over his body and kill the creature before heading out of the museum. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mark Spector takes uh, uh, Steve Grant in here to get pictures on a shithouse bowl where there are all these hieroglyphics, <laughs> and yes, yeah. yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone's seen Wubba Hotep, you'll know that it is. Uh, Hell yeah. 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 Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Bubba Hotep um, directed by the guy who made the Phantasm movies, right? I think so. I think so. Yes. Cast uh, really. Yeah. Fun director. Those Phantasm movies are weird as fuck. Um, I mean, Bubba Hotep's huge... a very fun little flick about uh, retired Elvis, uh, pretty much fighting yeah, a moment. So it's, yeah, yeah, you don't know if it's an Elvis impersonator. It's a guy in a retirement home, borderline mental institution, who mm-hmm. claims to be Elvis. Turns out it actually is a living Elvis, and he fights an evil mummy. Alongside a black JFK. Alongside a black chair. Okay. Yeah. That movie rips and the phantasm movies. If you want to watch, um, a franchise that never really got tarnished by cash grabs because it never made much money to begin with <laughs> and was just made genuinely by people who like wanted to make more phantasm movies. Mm-hmm. That's a good franchise to, to check out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the jackal uh that was chasing him we never got a really good look at it which kind of like bummed me out um it did remind me of the hunters in the resident evil video games um i wish we got a better look at it uh the mirror shots are such a flex in terms of cinematography Mm -hmm. um i want to point something out uh it wasn't 
the cinematographer for this episode, but Travis, get excited. There's two cinematographers on the show. Uh, one of them is a Game of Thrones guy. Uh, oh, one great. like a primetime Emmy for Game of Thrones. He he shot this episode. Um, this episode was directed um, by um, an a, Egyptian filmmaker, which is, is pretty cool. He's directing four of the six episodes. Um, he's he's doing also episode- been doing a lot of uh, press stuff. Uh, talking yeah. about other stuff that has been based in Egypt. It was not a good depiction. I've been enjoying those. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's um he he he's pretty much like the showrunner, which is kind of cool that they got like a guy to basically do the entire thing. I think it does help the continuity in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, he's directing the first episode, the third episode, the fifth episode, and the sixth episode next week and the fourth week are going to be directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who directed a bunch of films that you and I like, like yes. Spring and um, uh, uh, Resolution, Synchronic. and I can't remember the third. The second. Uh, Synchronic is the one with Anthony Mackie, the newest one. There's one, one more, like uh, Resolution is either the sequel to uh, or another film. The ending? Is that the... Yeah, it's got, yeah something, yeah, something like lines. that. You just look at my filmography, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were a bunch of fucking weird freaks dang ass freaks so i'm excited about that um next week's episode is also shot by cinematographer by the name of andrew draws palermo this gentleman was a cinematographer on such films as your next a ghost story and the green knight i really like the cinematography in the green knight uh yep a ghost story I mainly remember as the movie where uh, Casey Affleck dresses in a white uh, sheet and she, terrorizes yeah, immigrants. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's the movie. That's and the movie. I, yeah, yeah, I find that scene particularly funny because I don't know if they <laughs> thought the same thing there, if it was unintentional, but yes. I, um, I had uh, made like a best of, you know, 2021 list and I'm like a a crazy person who watches a lot of movies and goes to the movies every weekend, despite there being a good movie out or a bad movie out. I try and watch at least one movie a day. That's something I've done and I've kept up with for the most part. And when like I miss one, like I, I double up and I did try and watch a lot of new movies last year. And you know, my list of top, I did like my top 10 films. Um, Green Knight was on there um, towards the bottom part Mm of it. Um, I can see people not liking that movie. We were talking about how I had a rather funny cinematic experience going to see Darren, Darren Aronofsky's mother on opening night, Mm -hmm. um, because that was a freaky weird movie that was marketed as a horror movie and got an October release date and was shown on way too many screens than it should have. And like half the theater started screaming. It was like totally appalled and people are walking out and I was cackling in the back, like laughing. Uh, the green Knight was another cinematic experience like that, where that movie showed on way too many screens. And I think it should have. And it actually um, did well in my local theater. I went and saw it. Uh, yeah. 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 Yeah, it got very mixed reactions um, in my theater from some people leaving to some people like cackling and laughing and not knowing what to think of it to me and my friends being like, this is the fucking shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see some people not liking it. Um, it did win my cinematography award last year uh, oh, for best nice. cinematography. Um, 
it's so well shot whether you enjoy the movie and the story mm-hmm. and you get anything of it out of it other than this movie's so fucking well shot and last year we got a lot of really well shot movies like power of the dog is a really well shot movie dune is probably the one i should have picked but like i felt bad giving You're like every... adventure i think so yeah I guess, yeah yeah you don't get enough like r-rated weird art house fantasy movies these days <laughs> oh, I, know. <laughs> you know? I know yeah you know um i have the green knight role-playing dice game but i haven't played it yet um as a a24 simp you know what i mean um, did you see x yet no not yet it's not uh i should be just playing the model computer i'm just being lazy fun movie <laughs> yeah yeah fun movie yeah um <laughs> i didn't know it was about porn travis uh i did it, not either uh yeah it is about porn um and the killer is a horny old lady who can't get fucked anymore <laughs> because her husband will have a heart attack. So she's just really repressed. Oh, <laughs> it's awesome. Oh. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So I'm excited um, for Andrew Draws Palermo to shoot one of these episodes because, mm-hmm. again, like the mirror shots are flexes, man. And and this, again, like they got a jobber. They got a guy from Game of Thrones. Like I hate to call him like a jobber or a working man, but like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. they got like a really competent guy to do this first episode, but like we're going to get a couple episodes shot by the guy who did the Green Knight, directed by the gentleman who yeah, did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm wondering how well trippy they'll go with it. Like, I remember the Jekyll Mirror Run being uh, more uh, fantastical, so I'm hoping we get sure. some of that. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, something like. Uh, the desert stuff with uh, Mr. Bobert Cret. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the best four minutes of that show that yeah, lasted, yeah. you know, however long that is, subtract four <laughs> minutes from that, and that's how too long that show was. Um, <laughs> uh, but I I am really stoked, and we do get our first like glimpse of Moon Knight here. Yeah, um, awesome. I, I guess things can look better than some of the screenshots we'd seen and maybe better than the final trailer or whatever. It's a cool looking suit. I don't know what more people would want from it. Him being wrapped up like a mummy makes sense for the character. So uh, he's got a hood. He's wearing white. <laughs> he's got a moon on him. So it's, uh, yeah. He, he throws moon orangs. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. He throws a moon orang in the, in the trailer, doesn't he? He throws something. He's throwing something. It's just like a pebble. Yeah. Well, is he is he really in a costume or is he just like wearing a hoodie? Is uh, Oscar Isaac dressed like this or is this CGI? Oh yeah, CGI. You don't think probably. that's a person in a costume? Um, it's at least enhanced some. Uh, I think because like there's uh in the episode credits. At the end, there was, um, you know, the voice of Conchu and then, mm-hmm. like, on-set performer. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe so, then. Uh. Yeah, who knows? You know, they're doing something. And, I mean, uh, Palermo, in terms of cinematography, like, he handles realistic CGI really well. Like, the Green Knight, like, has some gnarly fantasy shit going on in there yes, there's like a talking fox there's like a main character in that thing and it's, it's also, hard, also. <laughs> yeah uh, 
Um, there's a bunch of underwater shots in in that movie that are pretty jarring and cool uh, with like the Lady of the Lake stuff. Yes. Um, and then there's the giants in the mountaintop scene uh, where it's like, how did they do this? Is it like um, like some sort of projected, like did they just film like these weird naked baby people? And then like, <laughs> you know, and then like, or the, is this computer animated? You know, it's yeah. really weird. It might just be old school in-camera trickery. I have no clue. But I am really excited. Um, that being said, Travis, I think we've discussed the first episode of uh, Mr. Moon Knight in its entirety. Unless you have anything additional that you would like to say? No, no, that's pretty much it. Would you like to uh, jump into our reviews at this point then, right? Sure, sure. Tell us how you really feel. Let's read this. So we here at the MCU Beyond Infinity cast review and rate all of our episodes from one to six Infinity Stones. One being the worst, six being the best. We do accept half Infinity Stones, Travis, Moon Knight, episode one. Not the butterfly effect. What's this fucking episode called? The goldfish conundrum, right? The goldfish problem. Moon Knight, episode one, the goldfish problem. One out of six Infinity Stones, what say you? Okay, this is going to be just on my personal enjoyment. Uh, it's like a four for me out of six. Uh, the mystery angle of like what's happening to the CIA, there's no mystery there, so a lot of this was just waiting for Mark uh, or Moon Knight to show up. Uh, it wasn't bad by any means. I... I could end with some of the some less humor where I didn't need the cupcake then or the cupcake I sold or uh, any <laughs> of that. Granted, we're dealing with Steven and he is the good-hearted human being. Uh, of our He's team. the schleb. <laughs> yes, yes. So I get it. I get it. And I do think this works good, better for other people, I think. Uh, I'm kind of like surprised how well this worked for other people who I've spoken to who don't know anything about Moon Knight. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like casual MCU um, fans I know, like in the real world, like who I work with and work with me and stuff like that. Um, it was one kid came out to me. He's like, yeah, Moon Knight's really crazy. I have no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> did you spoil it? Huh? I, I, I did. I, I was like, yo, Moon Knight's crazy. Imagine if like Batman had <laughs> I mean, multiple personalities. Yeah, Moon Knight's crazy. You could just be talking about the show. You wouldn't know that you're literally talking about Moon no, Knight. No, no. I told him. I was like, what? I was. I told him, I said, what if Mark was the real personality and this was a figment mm-hmm. of his dissociative personality disorder. And this, you know, he's like a young guy who works for me. Right, like so he's, he's like, super genius whenever he finds out you predicted it accurately. That's the only reason I read comic books. So people I work with think I'm a super genius. So, I understand, um, I understand. so I can take a couple minutes out of my day for someone <laughs> I know who watches a Marvel show to walk over to my little office and say, Hey, do you know anything about Craven the Hunter? Because I heard he's being set up in Morbius. And I was like, let me tell you about Craven the Hunter, my friend. And I show him a picture. Morbius is. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, more on Morbius later. Um, I, I'm going to give this episode a, a four out of six. But I, again, that's like a personal enjoyment thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the potential that it's setting up is amazing. Yes. Um, yes. 
and, and Marvel's doing the mystery box thing that it does do so well with this television that we haven't really seen since um like done this big since WandaVision where you know it yes it's an exploration of um some sort of mental illness or something kind of catastrophic um mm-hmm. going on um someone character's personal psyche um but it's also this mystery box there's the why and this one there's the who um which i think is really cool and again like framing this episode around Stephen grant rather than mark specter was a really bold and pretty inspiring choice like grant being one of mark specter's alter egos and us getting to meet him and get to know him prior to knowing anything about mark giving him this credibility as a real human being that we connect to rather than a symptom of something that can be perceived as wrong when it's really just a condition that mark actually has um you know Grant could very much come off as nothing but that, like a symptom or an effect of this character's mental illness. But yeah. having him be the ride-along in the POV here, it's um, it's not. He's he's fully formed and he's fully realized. Like, we have latched onto this. We have empathy towards this persona. And that's what, you know, the audience and the viewers were going to realize is it's, that's exactly what it is. It's a persona. All these are personas. And I think it's cool. Like, we are actually getting to know these personas. They're not being used as gimmicks, which is something that I was really afraid of. Um, and again, like handling mental illness and, and trauma and things along those lines, it's, it, there's a really delicate uh, line that can be crossed very quickly. And um, they're doing it rather empathetically. And I think that's a, a really important thing. And um there are these kind of natural limits to telling a story about a character like this. So most of the times in the comic book series, you have like your take and then you stick with your take and and you take that like the Bendis run did the, um, the, the study of his, his mental health issues and his condition. And then the Warren Ellis, uh, Jordi Belair run did a more, you know, noir driven, mm-hmm. like kicky punchy, like vigilante thing with that stuff in the background. And all these things are lingering in the background, but you focus on one of these three elements. And then the third thing is the mythological and the supernatural and all the fun Egyptian stuff, mm-hmm. uh, a la the Jeff Lemire run. And, and again, the current run. Uh, in the current run. Yeah. And the current run with the great covers by, uh, McNevin, who's like the fucking best. He draws a great moon night. I love the way he does all the little tiny lines. Um, but uh, this show, I think, is going to go all out with those things. And with such a limited amount of time with only six episodes, um, I, I'm I'm curious because this episode, I rewatched it right before recording and it comes in quick and it comes in hot and it mm-hmm. gets the job done. Um, I think Oscar Isaac's fucking awesome in this. I love Oscar Isaac. Uh, he's having a lot of fun. I think that's um, can be taken a lot of different ways. I think a lot of people might not like this because he's putting on a silly voice. It's very Tom Hardy and Venom. And I'm sure he's going to have his tough guy persona. And then he's going to have his rich aristocratic persona. And we're going to get all these different personas. And we're going to see Tom Hardy bathing it up in a river of hamminess and going straight to camp. Mm -hmm. And um, Ethan Hawke doesn't get to have that kind of fun much. 
Uh, he's a rather self-serious guy in a lot of really serious roles. Like when I think of Ethan Hawke, I think of like uh, the Richard Linklater movies, like Before Sunrise, or I think of yeah, uh, yeah. Paul Schrader movie, you know, like um, First Reformed and things like that. And, you know, just like an indie darling, you know, in mm-hmm. like really intense character studies, you know, but just like a really handsome kind of character actor who can get away with that. Um, and I'm excited about all of this and for all of those angles to be explored. And I think we're going to get a little bit of everything from it. And I'm honestly kind of exhausted with the connective tissue. And I know we're an MCU <laughs> podcast and people are going to hate me saying it, but like, it's been kind of a relief talking about a lot of the DC stuff lately mm-hmm. where it's like, Oh, it's just the Batman. And we're just talking about Batman stuff. And we're talking more about the comics and we can focus more on that. The expanded universe and having to tie everything together. Like sometimes like I care about a story first and foremost, man. I I like self-contained stories. I like street level stuff. I like world building. I like mythology. Um, and, and I, and I don't think, uh, it being concerned with the larger cinematic universe as a whole is going to hamper this at all. If anything, I think it's going to benefit it. So mm-hmm. if Oscar Isaac chooses to pop up as Moon Knight later down the road or something like that, it'll be fun to see him in a werewolf by night spinoff or something uh, or blade, you know, um, but it's cool. I like it at the end of the day. I think it's cool. And I like it. And I'm going to give it four <laughs> stars, but I think it's going to be a great series. Um, So, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say. Before wrapping up, Travis, um, first, do you have anything else that you want to add about Moon Knight? No, no. I think you got to cover it pretty much. (laughs) Do you want to talk about uh, some of the the news items on the docket for these past uh, couple weeks? Only a few news items, but some big stuff. Uh, Ryan Coogler being involved with Ironheart uh, in some capacity. I know that you're not particularly looking for an Ironheart, but this film is going to try to win you over specifically. That's why they hired him. This is why they hired him. This is a huge fucking sigh of relief for me. Um, Distancing Riri Williams from the character who she is in the comic book (laughs) is wonderful. Um, it's a bummer because Riri Williams came out at a time where Marvel was executing a like lot of very good new characters. Like introducing. Yeah. 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 Good new characters with legacy names that yes. could have very well been gimmicks that weren't like mm-hmm. for every totally awesome Hulk that we got, we got a Camilla Khan for yeah. every Riri Williams that we got. We got a Miles Morales, you know, uh, for every, I don't know you know, whatever we got a Sam Alexander or an X 22. Yes. Like we got a lot of these, you know, yeah, it's Wolverine girl, but it's also <laughs> fucking awesome. Like, yeah, yeah, it's like young Muslim Carol Danvers, but it's not, I swear. And black Peter yeah, Parker yeah. is really cool. Like I swear, you know what I mean? Ironheart was not one of those. Riri Williams was lame and they kind of bet the cart before the horse honor. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was a tough time for Bendis at Marvel where they were putting it in a lot of pressure on him to get a lot of uh, high profile work out uh, without a lot of creative teams behind him um, who were willing to, you know, he, he was 
doing his job. He's a jobber. He was getting it done within the mandates. And and Ironheart feels like a mandate. Like, check all the boxes. Like, mm-hmm. young, minority, Iron Man, what's hot right now? Let's do it. Yes. Uh, and they, like, didn't really, like, give her a character. And um, I think the idea of having Ironheart more associated with the Wakanda side of things. And not only the Wakanda side of things, but, like, so much of the first Black Panther film was like obviously the detriment of colonization on Africa. And like, what would Africa be if it wasn't colonized? It would be this, it would be this wonderful thing. And the perception of Africa in most American minds is like, I, I'm going to sound shitty saying this, but like the Savage Lands, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. well, Famine, war, uh, slavery, apartheid, um, apartheid, all sorts of terrible things. But like the idea that like, what if colonization never touched Africa and Mm -hmm. you could have pride in your homeland? What would that mean to an African-American who had previously had all these preconceived notions that we just mentioned of the you know their home continent and like tracing the lineage of a lot of african americans is like really fucking hard to do because of all these fucking horrible things that happened um so having ryan coogler involved kind of lay some credence to some theories like we saw the oakland institute of like wakanda technology and yes. stuff like that at the end of the first black panther what if riri williams was a student there and she got to learn a little bit about her heritage that was something really fucking positive and you could actually make that potent and implement it in a really cool way. I'm down. Like, I, I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. They could flesh the character out more kind of the way the Infinite Spider-Verse movie did with Miles Morales. Miles had a stronger starting point, but he, sure. he did the same sort of deal. Uh, Absolutely. Yes. Uh, the other big news item is a Nova project of some kind. Uh, the article mentioned Richard Ryder. Uh, I didn't find that in any of the, uh, the body of it, so I don't know if that's the person writing the article's conjecture, or if it's confirmed that that's the Nova we're getting, because it could have been Sam Alexander. Uh, I could see a way to do either one where the Nova Corps is at right now, because they're decimated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and again, like Richard Ryder is is like um, I don't want to say he's like the Hal Jordan of the Nova Corps, you know, and make the the Nova Corps Green Lantern kind of analogy. Kind of is like he's the one you think about at first, but mm-hmm. like you know, there are other Nova Corps members, and um, and Richard Ryder, you have a special affinity for the Annihilation, Annihilation yeah, Conquest, yeah. And, and that are really that's kind of where I'm hoping the uses their base here with instead of the annihilation wave uh, wiping out Xandar, it was the Thanos. And this is them rebuilding uh, in some way. And they could introduce either one here uh, because Sam Alexander gets his uh, abilities from a fallen Nova tomb from an elite uh, type of Nova pretty much. So you could do both. Same series, just like jump back and forth. You get 100% people. I I think it would be tough, though, if, you know, you had a Richard Ryder origin story Mm -hmm. and the Sam Alexander origin story going on at the same time. Um, 
if there's some sort of preconceived like, oh, Richard Ryder has been this Nova from Earth that none of us have known about because he's been out at Xandar for X amount of years and mm-hmm. they're just trying to recruit people from all of these different uh, sectors of the gal. I don't know if to they're called build sectors, back the Nova Corps after it's it, been decimated. Yes. Ex- uh, exactly. Um, you know, and you kind of have this older Earthling as a Nova member, which could be Richard Ryder. Um, the thing I like about Sam Alexander, uh, who's a rather recent addition to the Marvel universe. Again, like we're talking about that era of Marvel about 10 to 12 years ago, where they were introducing a lot of younger characters with legacy names, a la Nova and, you know, X-22 with Wolverine, Miss Marvel with Carol, blah, 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 blah. And, and Riri Williams, unfortunately with Ironheart. Um, but, the same Alexander Nova uh, was written and created by Jeff Loeb, who mm-hmm. wrote some of the best comic books of all time. And when you think about like modern history of comic books and then his son passed away rather tragically at a very young age. And he went through a really hard time and it showed in his work. Like he wrote like ultimatum, which is like one of the most hated comic mm-hmm. books of all time. And it, it's like God awful. And his work got really dark and fucking weird for a little while. And then he didn't work and he came back and he did this relaunching of Nova during the Marvel now in like 2012, I think it was like the second wave of the Marvel now books. Um, But Sam Alexander was this little kid who was from like the middle of nowhere, kind of like Peter Quillish, um, but young, he was like 12 and his dad was like a drunk and like everyone made fun of him because he was like a janitor, but he's like, no, my dad used to tell me all these stories about how like he fought in space, like kind of like, you know, buck rogers but like washed up he's like why would i believe this janitor and you know they beat him up and all of a sudden his dad went missing and all he found was like a helmet and he Mm -hmm. puts it on he's like holy shit my dad wasn't lying my dad was in the fucking nova Corps. this is cool that is a cool story and and again knowing the context of it with um with jeff Loeb and his son and like his son's name was sam um it's like touching stuff and like really yeah, yeah. heartfelt stuff and really um, disney about the uh the real life implications there that's definitely yeah. unfortunate oh uh, yeah um ed mcginnis also did the art and ed mcginnis is one of my favorite like generic superhero cartoonists of all time like he wrote like thundercats back in the day you know what i mean like <laughs> big muscly guys like ed mcginnis does it well you know <laughs> Um, and I like Sam Alexander. I'm like really partial to Sam Alexander. I had a friend, uh, shout out to Dan O'Leary. Um, if he's listening, um, uh, who I used to go to the comic book store with, who was a father and, um, you know, father, like a father of like Irish twins. Like Dan had like a son, Brendan, and then like a daughter, Rory, and then like another son and another daughter. Like his fucking wife was like, he had all these kids. And, you know, I used to go to the comic book store with all of them. This is one of the kids I, uh, I took to go see infinity war in the theaters when oh, I was yeah. babysitting him. And then he cried the whole way home and told his <laughs> parents how I took him to a fucking movie where Spider-Man died. And they like, were like, why did you do this? I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't even think about how that would fuck it. A little kid's yeah. brain up. And I had to explain like, listen, Spider-Man comes back from the dead all the time. <laughs> you know, it's only temporary for him. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. only temporary, you know, unlike when your parents die, this That's- will that's you know. the one to really worry about. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, like uh-huh. I got Dan um, back in the comics after a while. And mm-hmm. uh, I remember going and being like, yo, pick up Nova number one. He's like, why would I pick up Nova number one? I was like, yo, pick up Nova number one and like show it to your kid. And then yeah. like he went and did. 
and I remember this kid just being like talking to me about Nova, like this little kid. And I was like, I know it's awesome. And uh, Sam Alexander and his dad, they always used to say like just peachy to each other. And it was like this little stupid catchphrase. I used to say it to this little kid. I remember just like this little kid being like really into it. And I was like, see, this is like proof that Disney should like pay me to like like market their shit because I like knew exactly what this was meant for. Um, And again, like I think in terms of like, if you want like a character that if you're going to, especially if you're going to do a Disney plus show and like, you know, a father could watch it with a son or whatever, mm-hmm. that that's a great fucking character. But then Richard Ryder is the one with all the fucking deep dank fucking history, you know, yeah. like, and that shit is cool. Like annihilation is fucking cool. And a lot of the nineties Nova stuff is fucking cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the uh what's his name um jim starland and and oh yeah 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 yeah. like that stuff is fun yeah the cosmic stuff is fun as fuck Mm -hmm. uh but if you could like make it so oh maybe there was an earthling who was in the nova core all this time we just didn't know about him and like he's this old vet and he's a fashion designer so he can redesign the nova core suits to be a bit sleeker and less bulky (laughs) you don't like the nova core suits uh no they're not a great design i i don't think in the mcu it's they do a really good job most of the time with the MCU designs, but that one was kind of a mess for me. I liked them. I thought they were okay. And I like the way the helmets looked, especially when they were in the ships. And I like the way that the ships looked as well. Yeah, yeah. I think part, part of the problem is that uh, helmets just don't fit the same way they do on the comic pages. They do when there's an actual human head in there. That is true. <laughs> Proportions. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a real problem for me. I uh, yeah. Um, I am excited for Nova, and uh, one of the big bummers of this is um, John C. Riley's character. One of my yes. favorite actors of all time is John C. Riley. Guy can do it all. Guy can sing. Guy truly, can dance. Guy, yes. truly, uh, like he can star in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and then fart next to Will Ferrell and talk about Cheetos and dick jokes like mm-hmm. the next day. You know, he's the best. He's the fucking best. Um, his character that he played in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, is the character that had to die to give um, Richard Ryder the inherit the Nova costume? Yes, yes. Uh, the, like it's basically, I'm like, oh, don't want to compare. Roman Day, I think is the same, yeah, right? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I don't want to compare it to Green Lantern, but it's like it's kind <laughs> it's of literally yeah. the plot of Green Lantern. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so it was like, oh man, we got to kill John C. Riley when I just like want more John C. Riley in the MCU. <laughs> and Glenn Close, right? Uh, yeah, you would Wasn't think. Wasn't Glenn Close Nova Prime? I think so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Academy uh, Award winning Glenn Close. Doing this work to uh, pay for indie projects and make her grandkids happy or something. Make her grandkids happy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be cool at Thanksgiving or something. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, do you want to talk about Morbius or the DC delay? <clears throat> Let's talk about Morbius because I have a final victory lap on Jared Leto. Um, so we'll save that. Um, but yeah, DC a couple months ago put out a trailer, which actually screened before the Batman uh, mm-hmm. for me. I don't know if it's screened for you, but it was like the world needs heroes and they're coming yes. in 2022. And here's all of our movies and here's all the release dates. And don't worry. They're going to come out. Don't fucking worry. Well, I'm I'm worried, Travis. Uh, Black Adam has been delayed from May to July 29th. 
Aquaman 2 is no longer coming out this year, and it will be coming out in March of 2023. The Flash, a movie that I don't think actually exists. I think it uh, is on a cosmic treadmill to nowhere. Um, will now be released in the year of our Lord 2023, in the month of June. And uh, this is kind of the unfortunate thing that sparked it all is I think a lot of this was shuffled around. So these films won't directly compete with uh, other large blockbuster franchises. And one that I can see Warner Brothers being especially concerned about now that 20th Century Fox has been acquired by Disney and it's going to have the Disney marketing juggernaut behind it. Uh, Shazam 2 Fury of the Gods is going to be coming out in December, the same date as James Cameron's Avatar 2. This is weird. All this news is weird. Uh, DC Warner Brothers is now burying Shazam. Uh, They pushed Super Pets up till May. That's going to be the first one that we get. We just found out that movie existed. Black Adam is going to be a tentpole summer July blockbuster, but it's like almost in that... uh, that August dumping ground territory. It's July 29th. So it's got like the guardians spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, But you know, May would have been like, Hey, we have faith that this is going to be huge, but they're like, Oh, but Dr. Strange is coming out in May. So dump it where guardians would normally be. Um, And you know, we're getting Thor in early July. So it's going to give us a couple of weeks to die down from Thor. And then we're going to get this black Adam movie. Um, but it does bum me out that we're not going to get Aquaman 2 this year. That's the one I was yeah. most looking forward to. And, and again, I was really looking forward to Shazam Fury of the Gods because me, much like you, I love the first Shazam. I think that's tonally like a perfect kind of superhero movie that I want to see yes. more like that. Um, and they're they're burying it. Putting it up against the movie that made the most money ever, <laughs> it's like... You just don't care that this movie exists. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand what the grudge is against Shazam there, but yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, a, we'll see. And also, I don't believe The Flash is a real movie. Just saying. I'm putting it down. It, the Flash never happens. Just <laughs> tell him who told you so. All right. So here's the uh, the big news to end the night. Um, <laughs> I saw Morbius the living Dr. Dracula man. And I uh, regret to inform you that it was not good. I have uh, really liked a lot of the Sony movies of late. I loved mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse. It's one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. As you know from our Multiverse of Radness episodes, I love the Venom movies. I think they're very funny. I think they work, and I think everyone involved knows exactly what they were trying to do. Unfortunately, Sony has had a bad history with their Marvel properties and I've been accused of doing um, soulless cash grabs would be a word for it. I mean, all these movies are fucking cash grabs, but these are utterly soulless. Uh, Once upon a time, not long ago, um, we had the amazing Spider-Man franchise where there was an okay first movie with a promising young actor with a lot of good chemistry with the actress playing his love interest. Um, and then they decided to derail the franchise by making the entire second film a useless cash grab <laughs> to set up a cinematic universe of villains and the Sinister Six movie and a bunch of stuff that didn't work. And it tanked a billion potential billion dollar franchise to the point where they had to make negotiations with their arch nemesis, Disney. And here we are today. Yes. I regret to inform you, Morbius sucks. I still like it better than the Eternals, but it does suck. 
is not fun. It takes itself too seriously. Jared Leto, who we'll get to later, sucks. Um, but the director of this film, uh, a couple days before the uh, movie came out, totally spoiled the post credit scenes, which I'm about to describe in detail, which is not a spoiler because it has been reported by major media outlets yes. because the yes. director has been saying it. The first post credit scene opens. We have not seen any Spider-Man. We have not seen any Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes, the vulture in the film. All of the marketing was a ploy. None of it mattered. <laughs> Spider-Man's not involved. All of that was a needless cash grab to get people to think that it was somehow involved with Spider-Man or Venom or something. It's not. Good old it's not. bait and switch. Yeah. Good old bait and switch. So the uh, first post credit scene, mid credit scene rather opens on a, um, giant purple light the sky is fracturing much like the end of dr strange or <laughs> spider-man no way home with dr strange yeah. the dr strange spell is happening in whatever universe this is except it doesn't make any sense all of a sudden we are inside of a prison cell michael keaton's adrian tombs pops up out of nowhere he looks directly at the camera and then an 80 yard line from behind him says well i hope the food's better in this joint and then it cuts to some news footage. And instead of reporting on the breaking story of giant purple fucking <laughs> monster cloud fractures our universe in half, it says developing story. A man named Adrian Toomes mysteriously um, appeared in a prison cell. Nobody knows who the fuck he is. He says he's from a different universe uh, and we're going to let him go. And then it ends with Adrian Toomes walking free as a free man and Michael Keaton winking at the camera I kind of wish that this turned into the last half of uh, Lost Highway for a couple of minutes. Uh, that would have been a lot of fun. But unfortunately, Robert Loja, the great Robert Loja, has passed away. So it is not. So that's the first post credit scene. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. It has nothing to do with how the spell actually worked in Doctor Strange, where anybody who knew who Peter Parker was got sucked into the Marvel Cinematic Universe characters from the marvel cinematic universe did not get dumped into other universes that's the opposite of how it worked as mm -hmm. we saw with tom hardy's venom venom uh the post credit scene not the mid credit scene now is uh dr uh michael morbius the uh dracula man is driving on a dark desert highway the cool wind in his hair he <laughs> is in a <laughs> he's in a sports car he pulls up to a spooky house i don't know why because it's spooky uh he looks at his watch all of a sudden he is a dracula man yes yes he is a dracula man it, the whole movie is to let you know he is a dracula man um and a doctor and um, basically, like, the vulture flies down, but we don't see Michael Keaton's face. And he says, nice to meet you, Doc. I've been reading about you. This is all 80-yard line from either Michael Keaton himself or someone who sounds just like Michael Keaton. Nice to meet you, Doc. I've been reading about you. I don't know how I got here, but it's something to do with Spider-Man. I'm still trying to figure it out. Anyway. That was the pitch I, for the sequel. I guarantee that, you. <laughs> this is the pitch for the sequel. Anyway, I think guys like you and me should team up and do something good. What do you say? And then Jared Leto says, interesting. And then it cuts. Setting up like they're doing some sort of sinister six like yeah. team up movie with yeah. Venom. 
Craven the Hunter, Morbius the Dracula Man, and Michael Keaton's Vulture. How Michael Keaton got the Vulture suit when we know that the Vulture suit was constructed from T'Chari technology in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, we don't know. Yeah. How I mean, Michael Keaton like got introduced in a completely different Adrian tombs that would have uh, that would have been fine. Yeah, that would have been totally fine. That would have been totally fine. So we have been rather harsh on Jared Leto over the years. Over the year, uh, we give him a lot of fucking heat, and um, honestly, this movie cost seventy-five million dollars to make. Who knows how much it costs to actually market this fucking thing right now it's on track to make 33 million dollars this thing is going to be a huge flop this might be the end of the sony expanded universe of spider-man characters we might just get faith. i uh, i think, don't think this is going to slow them down in the slightest i think they're going to go the dc route we're just going to plow through i think we're just going to get a bunch of venom movies and that's going to be it uh, yeah, um, but anyway I'd like to officially announce that we will no longer be ragging on Jared Leto on this podcast. This is a retired bit. We are raising his name to the rafters. Jared Leto, I'm not saying we're sorry, but I am saying <laughs> so long and goodbye for now. Retired. Thanks bit. for all the fish. Yes. Thanks for all the fish. And with that being said, Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast provider you're listening to this on. Please remember to leave a review if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify. If so, you wish. You can find us at the Beyond, the MCU Beyond Infinity Podcast Facebook group. You can email us at mcubeyondinfinity at gmail.com. Until next week, I am John. I'm Travis. And we are the Dracula Man.